Welcome to episode 174 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And today I am in a hotel room in Savannah. On the run from the law again, I guess, huh? <laughs> and Jason is in Los Angeles, as always. So you, you made your cross-country trek. You're, you've moved, you've actually, you, you pulled the trigger, you moved to Savannah, Georgia from Los Angeles. We, yeah, we made it happen for real. And um, we were, we had originally thought we were going to, spend five days going across country, mm-hmm. um, doing maybe eight hours, or seven hours a day driving. But when it actually came down to it, it just didn't make sense. So we ended up doing it in three days. We did 12 hours driving a day. Yeah, I think it's usually like one of two, uh, you have one of two options. Either one, you do the, you know, just get there as fast as you can uh, method, which is what most people do. Yeah. And the second is taking the long, winding, scenic uh, approach where you stop and see lots of things that you might want to go on small, out-of-the-way roads. And that usually takes forever. So it's like if, you, if you're going to drive across country, you, that could be like a two- or three-week drive. Yeah. Um, you know, like I've taken the one, one time from uh, San Francisco down to L.A. I think it was 13 hours, taking the, the P-Coast, the Pacific Coast Highway. But, you know, you do it once, and it's like, okay, that was awesome, but... <laughs> It's like I can't afford a 13-hour drive again. Or you could take the five, you know, right through the middle of nowhere for five, what is it, five six hours. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's, hear, let's hear about the trip. So the big plan. Well, I did get some work done. Um, that, was, that, that was one question. I didn't get anywhere near as much work done as I thought I would. Um, so I was able to, like, set up the laptop, and we had this power adapter, and I plugged it into the car. And I guess every day I got maybe half an hour of 100% focus done. So I so, say so every day I got like one feature done, you know. Okay. So I got three features done, um, but <laughs> it's not it's not a lot. I mean, so it's almost yeah, see that was kind of my my experience is like I always felt that it wasn't even worth it. That I was so unproductive, or it was so inefficient that you know to get a half hour, an hour worth of work done. It was just sort of a waste of time. I mean, for me, it was more like I felt like I was working at like 15% efficiency. Yeah. So if I really struggled for an hour, I'd get, you know, just a few minutes of work done. So I would just, I would just throw my hands up and say, ah, screw it. I'll just read and talk with Sandy or whatever. I guess I have the capacity to zone everything out so I can get the 100% efficiency, but then I just feel like I'm being rude. <laughs> so, you know, my wife's driving and I'm just, you know, she's, a, she's may, may ask me a question and I'm just not listening to her. So that's that's not a very good strategy. Because Georgie's fairly extroverted, right? She likes to talk and yeah, yeah, definitely. Everything. See, Sandy's a more of an introvert, so she can she she's fine if I'm just preoccupied for an hour or two. She has oh, okay. that. So I was less it was, for me. It was always less of I feel like I'm being rude. It was more me feeling like I'm just spinning my wheels. Like it's just it's, and plus it's just sort of not not fun to be working so inefficiently. Yeah. But anyway, so well, she got a half hour work done each, uh, each day. So that's 
That's you know that's that sounds about right. Um, so how, about a half half an hour in the zone, right? So so I got I did actually manage to get a good feature out. Like, yeah, but know, it wasn't like the four hours of work done like you had planned. No, no, no. So I my my your prediction profit. was correct. Prediction <laughs> was correct. Yeah. <laughs> Workation too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, a uh, non not productive. So um, how how do you feel being in um, Savannah? Well, so uh, we arrived down on. March 17th. Uh, well, actually, we arrived down on March 16th, ready for March 17th. And of course, bad planning on our part, St. Patrick's Day is happening in Savannah. And it's actually either the biggest or the second biggest St. Patrick's Day in America. <laughs> the parade they have, they have like a million people come into Savannah. So when, so oh. when we came down, there was no hotel rooms available in Savannah. So we went, we had to drive out of Savannah, um, I guess, 40 minutes away. We found a town close by. Um, called what's it called oh statesboro yeah so um so we're we're in statesboro and people are just so nice like we, we went into the went into the hotel and uh, the first hotel holiday inn or or la quinta or something like that and said to the uh, receptionist you know can you got any rooms and she's like no we don't have any rooms but let me just call around and you know they called around all the local hotels and found a room for us and then gave us directions and even though it's their competitor you know so that was real nice of them yeah and um, so another thing, when we came into Georgia, we ended up in a Wendy's and, um, I don't know, we asked for like a, a regular meal or something and, um, they took a long time to serve it to us. And because they took so long, they gave us like a free frosty and some free chicken nuggets and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, that would never happen in LA, right? Mm. <laughs> you would never get free food in Wendy's, you know? Yeah. So they just seem they just it just seems like the whole southern charm thing seems seems very true. The other thing is is um driving into Georgia from the other states as soon as you hit Georgia it it really does seem very beautiful and very green. I guess that's to do with the temperate uh, temperate uh, climate here. Yeah, so you came through at Mississippi and uh, Alabama? Yeah. We took the 40 across. I've never I've never taken I'm I'm from Georgia actually. I'm from Atlanta. Now, but... you're from Atlanta. Now, Atlanta looks like a really beautiful town. Well, I don't know what your big deal with it is. I don't have a big deal with it. I just, you know, it's Well, like, you're not living there. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I mean, when you grow up somewhere, at least for me, I felt like I wanted to, you know, sort of see a different part of the world, have a different experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I would feel kind of weird being an adult in the same town that I was a kid. I feel like I'm, you're kind of like all the places you you spent time with as a kid, it would just seem like you were living in the past in a way. I mean, interesting. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to the show who do live where they grew up, but for me, it felt strange. Maybe it would be, wouldn't be strange if you never left, but if you left and then came back, it would seem weird to me. So like, did you feel like Atlanta was like a small town compared to other places you went? Is that, was it that like kind of concept, small town well, mentality? I don't know. Like I, um, you know, so I went to college in Chicago um, and then worked there for a year. And then my, my best friend, uh, growing up had, was out in, uh, California and LA. He was going to school at, uh, Pomona college. And so I would come out and visit him and then he kind of enticed me to move out there. And when I uh, had the idea to start my first company, 
called Renaissance Research Group, and I roped uh, my buddy Phil Amen into doing it with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I was like, let's 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 go out to L.A., man. I mean, because you know, I'd come out and visit. Because in Chicago, it'd be like in the winter or early spring, it'd be like twenty degrees or something, and I'd go out and visit. In uh, California, it was like 75 and sunny and beautiful, and people acted like they didn't have a care in the world. I'm like, man, this is living. What, what am I doing in Chicago? Well, I mean, so. looking at Atlanta, it looks like, I mean, obviously, I've only just driven through, so I, I can't really judge it, but I'm just going to go with my first impressions. It just seems like a hive of industry. I mean, it seems like a, a New York kind of town. It's got its big um, downtown area, skyscrapers. Um, it's a massive city. So it's, I would imagine that if you wanted to build a business, it would be as good a place as any. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's certainly a, it's the biggest city in the Southeast, I believe. Um, I mean, it's not a small town by any stretch. I mean, yeah, it's smaller than Chicago and LA, but there are a couple of the biggest cities in in the U S um, or the world, but, um, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, it, it was it was nice growing up there. I, I like the um, I like the feel of uh, L.A. better. I, the West Coast feels to me really open, like yeah, anything's possible. Like I always felt like it's, the further you go west, the more um, the more sort of open people are to doing random stuff, whether it's doing a startup or I don't, like. You know, it's like I felt like in Chicago because it, you know, especially in the East Coast and Chicago and the Midwest was were so cold and 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 the weather was so brutal that you really had to get with the program. Like you got to get in school, get your degree, get a job because you don't want to be like, uh, you know, freezing your butt off in the winter and not having a warm. And not that that's a real possibility, right? But I just felt like it was this underlying subconscious driver. Like the weather forced you to be really serious and really focused and really with the program. Whereas when you when you're in an area that it's warm all the time, it just the downside doesn't downside doesn't seem that bad. So if you screw up or things completely flop, you know what's the worst that could happen? You can go out in the park and yeah, well, not go to the park, but you know, you crash in your buddy's couch. The windows are open. It's sunny. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you know, whatever. I sort something out. Um, you know, but Atlanta is hot, right? So, so no, no, um, not, not at the same level of no, uh, 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 no, not not even close to LA. I mean, so in in in, in Atlanta, um, you know, the winters, you, you know, you can you can spend a lot of time in the forties, uh, you know. Hmm. You know, or you know, you can be. There's definitely plenty of days, icy days, ice on the roads, and we'll get a few snow days a year. And um, maybe, um, yeah, no, it's what, not. What even, is it that they say? People say they have seasons, and they say uh, California doesn't have seasons. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big. Yeah. I, I don't really care about the seasons. <laughs> anyway, a, I go. We go to you know. I go skiing in the snow. You know, I can go uh, snowboarding a few times in the winter, and I get my fill of snow. And uh, you know, I'm good. anyway so um i just wanted to slightly change the subject um and just bring up that we do have one shout out and i wanted to bring that at the top of the show before we went too far um so that's someone who's donated to us and it's um andrew castle andrew thanks so much for for the shout out we uh really looking forward to seeing you at uh, microconf because i know remember andrew he was there yeah we hung out with andrew and yeah uh, yeah yeah absolutely yeah so um, Andrew donated $20 to us. Thanks so much. Um, appreciated. And you can donate to us at textinglive.com forward slash donate. Well, well uh, as long as we're on the sort of bookkeeping, um, in the bookkeeping phase of the show, what's our, uh, what's our review count? Because I just listened to the stuff to the rest of us, and I think they're pulling, out, pulling away. Like they, got, they picked up four. In our last show, they picked up four reviews, and we picked up one. 
Yeah. So w- the way that it ended up, um, the, I think the latest is we actually did did get a surge. If you remember the last time we looked, I think we were eighty one. Was mm-hmm. it? We are now ninety one. Oh, so, so that's kind of that's nice. pretty hot, right? Nice. That's a yeah. Texan surge. Yeah. Like the surge. Yeah. The sur- The the Iraq and Afghanistan surges were fails. Texas <laughs> surge is gonna be a big win. <laughs> so so that's. I mean, obviously, we're incredibly grateful about that. Thank you so much for for reviewing us on iTunes. And I know that a few people said that basically they would never install the devil that is iTunes and, and review us. And that's that's fair enough. I mean, if it completely goes against your principles, no worries. But um, for those who did, thanks so much. And to find out about that, just go to textinglive.com. And on the right-hand side, there's some information about the, the iTunes competition and how to review us on iTunes. Right. Cool. Yeah. Cool. We're catching so, up. We got to, you know, we, I mean, yeah, I, we got to, if we, if we don't beat them, we, it's got to be close. We got to go. We got to try and beat Well, them. I, I, at least it's not embarrassing anymore. I mean, they're, they're like one, I think they're 140 now or something. Oh, on, wow. So they've got 91. a big push of their own. Yeah, they, they got a big push. But, but you know, at, at least we're not that embarrassing. But anyway, we probably shouldn't talk about that to, you know, keep on going on about that. Um, one thing I really want to say that I'm so excited about is that AnyFoo had its first fully blown transaction and session, and we have actually made money through AnyFoo. So that is something that is awesome. Now, if you if you amortize that over all of our hours put in, we get about <laughs> a, f- a thousand a fraction of, of a cent. <laughs> yeah. Per hour, something like that. Yeah, so we, what, what do we, I think we netted like, 20 bucks 22 dollars or something something like that so so but the, the funniest thing was jason frantically pushed through the payment system and they were that they were able to pay um I'll, I'll, who, 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 who was it again it was um don felker and um jeff, jeff Welpley was a client and so, don felker was the expert yeah so jeff jeff Welpley was a client and basically hired don felker for an hour for 250 dollars and jeff was able to pay uh, well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, Jason said, sent him an email and said, okay, th- this is this is the link that you're going to press when I tell you I'm ready, but don't click it now. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to get notified once Don submits an invoice, you're going to get notified via email to approve the invoice. Do but, not but the, click on that link until Because I the payment system email. wasn't ready. It's so, not so, ready. So Jason says, do not click on that link. <laughs> I'm like, we're paving the road as they're driving down the road. We're like, they're coming. You know? Like, do not click. So what's the first thing that happened? The link gets clicked. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Something screwed up. I clicked the link. And I'm like, Dude. Okay. See, so, email. Okay. So then we, we uh, well, Jason then fixed the payment system. We sent through to Jeff and, and Jason was working very hard on that, making that happen. And this time Jeff clicks it and pays. And then... We realized that Jason forgot to plug in the commission, our commission. Our service <laughs> so, charge, right? So, so I was looking, I'm like, sweet, $250 on Stripe. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that did not include the service charge. I'm like, damn it. So luckily, you knew how to do it manually inside the Stripe dashboard. So just went in and, and added the, the, the uh, service fee. And Jeff was cool with it. I was on, you know, like uh, I am with him. And he's like, no problem. But uh, yeah, that was really fun. There were a few, uh, there were... What I'd like to do is talk through a couple of the uh, screw ups. Well, okay, but interesting. Uh, well, okay, but we what I was going to say is, on. just before we go into the screw ups, you spoke to both Jeff and Don. Don Felker, and, and he's in Arizona, not Australia, as you thought. And they, yeah, and they both gave uh, great feedback to you about what the experience is like. It'd be cool if you could go through. Yeah, that. yeah. Okay, so the first thing is, uh, I knew that on Wednesday morning they were going to have a session, and it was going to be around six a.m. 
Pacific time. So I'd be asleep. Mm -hmm. So when I woke up, first thing I did is check my email and Don's like, yeah, you know, he sent me like a, a a short email saying it was, we really went well and that uh, he'd be happy to talk with me about it to, to give, give me a little overview. And, you know, so we, we had a little video chat on Skype and he was really excited about it. He was like, yeah, man, it was great. It really went well. He's like the first 15 minutes or so, I think he said 15, 20 minutes, it was kind of going through some of the basics. I mean, Jeff, Jeff, company Mesha One is um, trying to, they're, they're, I think they're re-architecting some backend stuff, building an API or whatever, and they're doing it in ASP.NET MVC, which is a relatively new platform. Right. And he wanted to go over this new architecture and th- and with, um, with Don, like, because, it's, because it's so new, he had a lot of questions, are they doing things the right way and whatever. And so I guess the first 15, 20 minutes was sort of, um, you know, pretty straightforward where he would go over with Don. Don's like, yeah, you should do this. You should do that. And it was, it wasn't, you know, anything, um, earth shattering that Jeff was getting out of it. It was just kind of confirmation that the things that he understood and were doing were right. But then it got into some, th- some of the area of like dynamic form creation and all this stuff. Cause that's Don said, well, you should look into this dynamic form for creation for X, Y, and Z that you want to do. And it just blew Jeff's mind. He's like, I didn't even know that was possible. That's going to solve like three of our problem, major issues that we have to deal with. And apparently the rest of the, the session was extremely um, useful, extremely eye-opening to, to Jeff because there's all these new things that for him to think about that they can do that are going to, it's going to make things easier. And, and then I guess they were doing some, I think, now I might be wrong about this, but I think that it had a lot to do with like some API stuff and, and Don was giving them a lot of tips and like, here's, you want to, here's kind of how you want to architect the API and do this. And it was, because if you don't, you're going to have a lot of problems. He's like, I've gone down that road and had a lot of sleepless nights because of this. And so, from Don's perspective, perspective, it was it was real high value hour. And but but what about from from Jeff's perspective? I mean, did he yeah. feel like so, he yeah? He so then saved I talked, money. Yeah. So so I'm just so I talked to Don. So talked to Don first. Had a you know good 20, 30 minute conversation with him going over, it, and he was really really happy with it. Really really had really enjoyed it, and thought and from his perspective, he thought that it was a lot of that he was able to deliver a lot of value to Jeff. So he felt good about that. But he had a good time, right? I mean, he had a good it, it time. was just a, just a, like an hour out of his day. Just, yeah, he had a really yeah. good time. It's fun. You know, it's fun to help people like that. It's, it's fun to give people advice and, 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 and help people from making stupid mistakes that you've made and just say, oh, just don't go, don't open that door, open this door, trust me. You know? I mean, basically, he was paid 250 bucks to show off for an hour. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's that, it's, and it's fun. It's I mean, you know, awesome. you, you always tell me you like to do that kind of stuff too, guide people yeah. and help people out with things that you know. It, it's, it's very rewarding and fun to be able to do that. And the fact that he made $250 for that hour was also a big plus. I mean, like, in fact, he told me that he... I think on either email or our chat or IRC or something, he just mentioned it to a friend of his. Like, yeah, I just made two hundred fifty dollars an hour, and this friend's like, "What? How do I, how do I get on that thing? I want to I want to sign up with any foo." Yeah. So uh, I, he's already sent me a couple of friends who are you know have big names and are, are guys who've written books and speak at conferences who are, I'm in contact with about getting their profiles set up. So that was a real plus, um, and I think that's really going to go a long way to helping us is when experts have have fun doing it find it to be successful and then end up just telling your friends and they're you know like yeah you should you should sign up with this and oh so let me tell you one thing um we'll we'll get back to the to the screw-ups after this so um so then i talked to jeff and jeff actually before i even had a chance to talk to him had gone and written an entire blog post about how (laughs) how much value he got out of the uh, inifu session um unfortunately and for some reason it got flagged on hacker news and, you know, because I have, I don't know, I think if you have enough karma, 
you can see if you set do a certain setting, you can see dead links, links that have been flagged, flagged, and mm. no one else can see. So I I I looked and I said, yeah, for some reason, you know, they flagged it, and I, I don't know why that why it would have been flagged. I thought it was very strange. Um, but it, he still put it up and put it on, you know, Startup Guild and a few other places slashed out. So it got a little bit of traffic, got some wind. But in the essence of the post, which is most important, is that he felt like it was just an extremely valuable experience and a very good use of his money and time. So you really can't ask for more than that. And then I, I yeah. talked to him on the phone and he had the same things. Like, yeah, the 15, first 15, 20 minutes were sort of, um, you know, pretty straightforward, just kind of going over the basic architecture and getting confirmation that he'd made good decisions but then it's like yeah the, the the rest of it he's like i got like two pages of notes and i'm gonna have to go you know really go through a lot of the stuff and then i'll probably it sounds like he'll probably get back in touch with don as a follow-up in another you know week or two he had that he had uh, some nice ideas for us as well um that that prepay idea um for, for corporates <sighs> yeah yeah so one thing that jeff said was that and see this goes along lines people ask us about customer development what customer development are you doing and we can get more into that later but you know we spent a lot of time talking with uh we spent a lot of time talking with people who would be potential experts mm-hmm. and potential clients but now when we the people who we are we're going through it obviously we're really spending a lot of time talking with them to get understanding of what the issues might be what's working what's not so the first thing Jeff said, he's like, yeah, you know, I can pay credit card. That's fine. He's like, but my CFO wasn't crazy about that. They really, I think credit cards are more, more meant for incidental things that they, they like to pay more for a standard invoicing approach. It's, you know, have like line items. And one thing he said is that, and, and especially from the company when he used to work at like some larger companies, they're going to want to ha- set up a corporate account and sort of prepay. So they have like a budget item. Like, well, this is our budget. We spend $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year on this thing. This is in our budget. This is, you know, and we prepay. And then when we, you know, and then so like when we did se- do sessions, that would be, you know, you know, debited against that prepaid amount. So they're basically prepaying for an expert brain pool, you know, a brain pool of experts. So it would work out that way. But I think that's, you know, because the credit cards, I, I mean, I'm not, an, you know, I don't know a lot about corporate accounting, but I guess the corporate accounting, they like to work with budgets. They like to figure out, forecast how much you're going to need to spend on these things. And then what do we do? We actually spend and et cetera, et cetera. So this sort of like, we have no idea what we're going to spend and we're just going to spend stuff as we go along. I guess it just doesn't work for most accountants. So I guess um, very quickly, um, since you just mentioned it um, about talk, you know, customer development that Alex Gemmel had posted um, on the comments about the, the assumptions and are, are we a lean startup? And you had actually said that we weren't really but in some senses, I think we are. I think we're 100% a lean startup because basically every step of the way, we've we've t- been testing our hypotheses by speaking to people, speaking to potential customers, iterating. And there hasn't really been very much where we've just completely said, you know, th- this is how it's going to be, apart from some core components like um, the the scheduling and some of the journeys. But, but the actual business, we've been iterating on that, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I... I say I don't really know how rigid. I mean, I've I've probably read half dozen interviews with Eric Reese and Steve Blank, or maybe a dozen at this point, and I've listened to at least a half dozen lengthy interviews. So I have a pretty good gist of what the lean startup philosophy is. You know, the idea of testing every hypothesis and all that. So I don't know 
when someone says, are you testing every hypothesis, how, how rigorous they're expecting that to be. So they're saying that like, when we came with this idea, did we come with a landing page and, and, and do something and, and then get like a hundred people and to, to, to respond to it or something like that, which I hear is sometimes is what is advocated in lean startup movements. And, but for us, we have something that's sort of a, a different, it's, it, it's unique and it's not unique. I mean, it, it, it's not unique in the sense that, yeah, you, it, it's not unique in that you're hiring a consultant and you're hiring them through the web. There, there have been ways of doing that, different ways of doing that, but doing it for short-term face-to-face sessions, that's new. Um, and so it's sometimes it's hard to test that kind of stuff. So we, we definitely had to kind of come up with this mental construct, this thing that we're envisioning that you and I had come up with what a year and a half ago by now. Right. Right. And a lot of the things that we talk about is just sort of, I feel like molding what that hypothesis hypothesis is that we want to test, trying to get some basic understanding, but we are doing a lot of testing. I mean, we spent at, at MicroConf last year, I mean, we had a brainstorming session. There must have been 10 entrepreneurs who were potential experts and potential clients right. giving us a lot of very in-depth feedback. And then yes, we- I, I consider that to be the same as doing the landing page. I mean, that, but, but way, way better because you're there with your clients and they're- Yeah, they really their understood the context. There's yeah. a lot of back and forth, um, really deep thinking about all the different issues. Um, and, and we talked to a lot of people about it. You know, we, we're always pitching it to people, explaining it to people, getting feedback, trying to defend our choices when people say, well, what about this? What about that? Trying to say, well, you know, this is, this is why this will work. Or whatever. And, and we've made changes, you know, we've, we've made changes as we've got feedback from people. So I think that's kind of part of the lean iterative way of oh, doing yeah. things. Yeah. See, I think what, what I think is really, um, you know, okay, here's my take on it, I guess, is you want to iterate on a lot of the sort of small things, the details like, Hey, so we should order corporate accounts, right? As opposed to just credit cards. That's not pivoting the idea, right? You're just saying, Oh, this is, this is, we're understanding our customer a little bit better. Our customers are going to want to pay a certain way, make that easy for them. Another one that Jeff had brought up was, you know, NDAs. He's like, our company has a custom NDA. He's like, I think it's fine for now, but rather than using sort of your uh, generic Anyfu NDA that we're going to want to have a custom NDA, and so so I thought was like, well, we should make that easy. So when you do a session request, well, you know, part of this, you know, the process will be, hey, upload if you want, you can upload a custom NDA, which the the expert will be able to view and sign digitally, sign, and then of course you can reuse that in in future session requests. So it's just like your default NDA, right? So that's a, that's a, that's an iteration or that's a response to a customer, you know, concern. Well, I mean, I, I was listening to um, Andrew Warner. Listen to this again. I think I've listened to this three times now. The Airbnb interview with Andrew, Andrew Warner. And one of the things that, one of the questions he asked them is like, you know, you came up with so many great ideas. Like, how did you come up with these great monumental ideas? And the guy said, well, the truth is, we, we, you know, there was no point where we just said, bam, we've got this great idea. Boom, there's another great idea. Each one happened as just lots of little iterations. So exactly, exactly what you're saying. Like, so... Any food may end up being pretty impressive, but it's not like we had that entire idea in the world. Yeah, the we essence had- itself has not changed at all. Yeah. The core idea of high-end face-to-face, I mean, or one-on-one screen sharing sessions. Well, high-end itself is an iteration because the original was- idea um, was the, the, uh, the face-to-face sessions without the high-end. The high-end was an iteration that you came up with 
the, yeah, the, I was in the shower the, just thinking like, yeah. how do we, how do we not get into a race to the bottom where everybody's charging 12 bucks an hour where it starts out and people start undercutting each other. And then, and then the higher end people just say, screw it. I'm not going to be on a bunch of people who are charging seven or 10 bucks an hour. It's silly. Right. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's lots and lots of iterations. I mean, and so I, I guess, and, and I think at our stage, we are iterating quite a bit. And as we, as we sort of, um, have more direct contact contact with users, there'll be more iterations. Well, we did a ton of iterations with all of the um, experts who were pre-registering and setting up their profiles. Well, I mean, we changed a ton of stuff, right? I mean, we've, we've done a ton of changes because we're always like, well, this is painful and this is confusing and this is annoying. And well, and also in the, through the mock-up stage as well. Um, uh-huh. But anyway, anyway, we're, we're going on about this and I'm mindful of, of staying on any one specific to- topic for too long. Um, so you mentioned the, uh, the mistakes yeah. Okay. So let's see. Um, well, the first problem was I get an email from uh, Don the night before. He's like, hey, wait. He's like, wait a minute. Is my session at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m.? Because he, he, had, he had set up an early morning one. I guess um, Jeff had said that he was available 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern time. And yeah. 10 a.m. to and so so Don had said, you know, I can do 7 a.m. for your 10 a.m. or something. Well, was, wasn't there also something about the leap year? Yeah, yeah. Some- let, me, let me get let me let me I'm get to that right. <laughs> yeah. So is it the reason it's screwed up is that Arizona does not observe daylight savings. Right. So when they and our daylight savings had been like the previous Sunday. So when they had uh, our, our maybe it was this. Was it last week? No, it was just last weekend. So it was just the day before. So they, when they scheduled it, it was before daylight savings, and then it was daylight savings. And so, what are the chances of that? Like, it's the, the actual day that daylight savings changes that this schedule is done. Or well, it just well actually just has to happen when you cross over daylight. So if you schedule yeah. before daylight, say, daylight savings and have the session after, you're going to be screwed up. And what are the so, chances? It's just but, like so. It's so such a small chance, but of course it happens. Which is, which is great, though. You want it to happen. Yeah, like, yeah not you want happen, it to happen. Yeah. And like 50 people get hit with it. And then all of a sudden you have a huge nightmare of customer support problems. So, you know, he just, he emailed me and, and I said, well, it's, it's, it's you know, it's 9 a.m. It's supposed to be 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time is actually what it was. And he's like, oh, so for me, that's 6 a.m. And so he was fine with that. And he understood he understood the issue and, and, um, and of course that's what that means for me is I'm going to have to go in and, 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 and make a little smarter, um, a time zone conversion system, which I now know how to do the right way. But, um, but he was totally cool with it. And the thing was, is he actually had to get up at 5 AM and drive to his co-working space. Cause he, cause it's his home office is right next to the room that his kids are in and they're going to be sleeping at 6 AM. So he, he left, but he said it was still fine. He still was like, I didn't have any problem with it. Cool. Um, so I thought that was good that it was, uh, yeah, not, not an issue for him. Um, let's see. So Jeff had no way to share a document with Don. He said, you know, he had an architecture document that he wanted Don to see, but I didn't forward um, Don's email address to him. I just forwarded Don's Skype because I figured he'd call him on Skype. And so I think going forward, what we're going to do is we're going to give clients the option, the ability to upload a like a document. Um, so well, Yeah, one or more, yeah. And Don wanted Jeff's cons, and I and I didn't forward the contact information for the client to the expert because I figured the client's going to initiate the session. But Don wanted to go ahead and get his Skype ID and kind of get things sort of set up. So there wasn't enough information exchanged there. Easy mm-hmm. to fix, but it wasn't. Um, you know, there was a couple of small things that you know we could put a little messaging to help clarify or to help sort it out. But um, 
one was they had different versions of TeamViewer installed, <laughs> but yeah. they, they said it took them two minutes to sort that out and it wasn't a big deal. And they said Skype had an echo, so they had to change the free conference call. But they said the, they the, the Skype conference call and the TeamViewer switch, they said that took them two minutes to add that sorted out. It was no problem. Um, okay. Which was good because people are going to run into issues like that. Skype is going to have an echo. There are going to be issues, but I guess most of us are used to dealing with the fact that those happen on occasion and you can usually sort it out. Um, of course, the, the, the invoice submission approval process wasn't implemented yet. So that was, I mean, I would say it was a screw up. It was just kind of funny that uh, I emailed him to not to click it and he clicked it anyway. <laughs> I mean, but, he, but again, since Jeff's a friend of mine, it was, he's just like, no, it's no big deal. Um, and of course, as, we, as you went over, I, you know, we didn't, I, I forgot to include the service charge as part of the, of the charge of the total amount, invoice amount. So that's it. Okay, so, well, anyway, um, basically, first session has happened, and we are obviously over the moon about it. Yeah, it was good. It was a really good, really good start. Really, really, um, it put me in a really good mood, because both, both, of our, both parties really got a lot of value out of, out, of this, out of it. They both felt really good about it. And, that, and that, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's creating a product, I mean, you want to make money, you want it to become a profitable business, but the most, almost the most important thing is like feeling like you're creating something of value that people are really valuing what it is that you're doing. Yeah. And that was, I was on a high, high from that all day long for sure. Yeah. So do you think that's, uh, that's enough on this or you got anything else? That's enough on that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Let's okay. move, on. move on. All right. So, well, either I'm happy to move on to like just some random topic that you bring up or we can go onto the texting contra controversy. Well, it's not right. Okay. Well, one thing I was going to say about the, uh, one thing I was going to say about any food, like the next step. The one thing I've been working on this weekend, sure, yeah, um, are the is sort of doc, uh, any food documentation or documents. I guess. I don't know. Oh, you started looking at the legal stuff, have you? So here's here's all the things. So I, I wrote an about page for us, which was annoying. That took me a long time for some reason. Um, I first I wrote all this random. I wrote all this this three paragraph lengthy thing, and then I realized that it was just sort of stupid. <laughs> that needed right. to be much shorter. So. Um, I got that done, and then I started working on a FAQ, or a Frequently mm-hmm. Asked Questions thing, um, because I feel like that's the easiest way to get the most information across to people, because they can kind of scan it and get the information that's pertinent to them. You know, there's facts, so there's, there's general questions, there's client questions, there's expert questions. They want to know about taxes and payment and this and that, so I've, uh, I've, got a lot, I've definitely made some good progress on that, and the next thing I'm going to do after the fact is probably the uh, LLC agreement. Um, okay. Because once we have an LLC, we need the LLC agreement because, because, I was, because we also need a terms of service and an NDA and a privacy policy. But all of those things are going to need to be sort of approved, potentially edited to some degree by our attorney. And if I'm going to be the attorney, I want to definitely have our LLC agreement in there for her to see review as well. So... Mm-hmm. Kind of get to get all those things. So I've I've just sort of been setting aside this weekend to work on that because those those are just sort of so painful to do. They're so boring and it's and it's actually very difficult to get these things right. And uh, you know so, but that's what I'm doing. So anyway, um, you got no comments on that? Nothing. Well, um, well, Alex, better you uh, than me. <laughs> I, I, well, no, no, not better, not better than you than me. And this brings us this brings us to the comment that Alex made on the on the. Uh, texting blog post. So I I had asked you, you know, would you like me to have a go at that? And you you said no. And and that happens, you know, a lot in the project. Um, you you sort of want to take the lead on a lot of things. 
So Alex had said um, in the in the blog post, what, how did he put it? He basically said, I don't even know how to describe what he said. Uh, well, he was actually talking about something slightly different than that. That's, a, that's worth talking about. What you brought up is worth talking about, but I think it's a little different. He, he, he felt like I was shooting down all your ideas. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll, okay, we'll get onto that. But let's talk about this, the other thing. I mean, it's, I, I think I've ex- expressed this before in the show. Like, it is interesting being in partnership and business with you because you're very hands-on and you, let's just say, you want, you're kind of like a, the wanting to be the Steve Jobs in this kind of scenario, like really having control over the way that stuff comes out. And so I know that when, when I say to you, you know, you say you've got to do a lot of writing and I'll say, well, shall I have a go? And you'll, you say no, because you, you need to get that done first. What, what, what do you sort of, I mean, I don't know whether we should well, have this Well, I mean, writing has been sort of one of your big weak points, right? right. I mean, I mean I, I'm not, it's just not, just to be real honest about it, I mean, you'll admit it yourself. I mean, you're, you're, you're as you've said before, you, you've admitted it many times on this show that it's not your strength, that you felt like when you dropped out of high school that you never really rounded out or, or really, really became a good writer. Your, your grammar and everything was not at the level that it should be, and you have to work really hard to get it to be okay, right? Yeah. Whereas it's always been a it's always been a strong point for me, and I'm a perfectionist, and these documents got to be right. I think perfectionist is a, is a good thing to come in. So so a lot so what I've had to do in the project is take a little bit of a back seat, um, which is weird for me because you know, for example, with Plugio, like I'm you know 100 driving that, but I I'm happy in some ways to do that because I think that to round out your experience as an entrepreneur, you have to learn to delegate. So I'm, I'm sort of seeing it as a learning experience to being in business with you and allowing you to take the reins when you feel you need to. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, of course, you know, this isn't my first business, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, I've had businesses before that were, had real, you know, revenue, real customers, you know, we sold to banks and stuff. So it's not like, you know, but I, I'm trying to do things. Well, we had agreed initially that I would build the back end because I was using a lot of the Epic Night framework. Right. right. And I wanted to get that sort of generally in place because it was so in flux that I felt like if you and I were constantly working on it, there would be a lot of confusion and hurry up and wait. So it was sort of like the I felt like the most efficient thing to do was to have and I still think it's true um, just by the nature of it was to have you do sort of isolated projects like the scheduler, like the uh, expertise um, widget, and then these these few other ones that we we talked about I offline. Did the, I did the legal. I basically did the research for the legal documentation, yeah, and things, do the, do API research, and so I'm I'm doing I'm I'm basically taking quite a, quite a supportive role in building small niche aspects of the of the overall system. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like once everything's kind of in the structure is more in place, we have a working system, and 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 it's sort of solidified, then it's easier for both of us to just work on it. But when things are sort of like like the, the things are just so unsettled and just not working the right way that if, we, if you and I just kind of start working on all this random stuff, either we're going to be bogged down with tons of conversations about silly stuff or we're going to just be working um, at cross purposes at times without realizing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of want to just get it, just kind of get like a first draft of Infos technology in place. Now, but that said, you and I spent a lot of time still working and talking about it so it's not like i'm off in a, in a cave working on it and then i just come out and say Da-da! right i mean yeah we- no no we did we we've done um all the very very core key 
things um, we have, I guess, done together, like for example, um, mocking the entire thing up and coming, you know, the the main strategy. But uh, yeah, yeah. Now I, but so I, I, I'm trying to, but but when it came to the writing of documents, I mean, again, uh, you know, like I said, that, that I think that's that's more of a special case um, okay. because. You know that's just not your that's not your strength, and uh, and these I, I feel like these things have to really be done, um, done right, and I, I don't want to either have to like either you do them and then I have to go through and then rewrite them and then make you feel bad because I'm like, well, this is this and this and that, and you're just like, screw it, <laughs> right? That's well, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind, but but to be honest, what I I mean, just in the same way as the legal documentation um, I've done is basically come up with all of the bullet points of the stuff that needs to be in there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what I could have done in writing that stuff. I could have just come up with bullet points of concepts that need to be said, and then you could have like wordsmith them. But it's it's fine. It's fine the way that it's worked out. So I guess maybe um, moving on to what Alex said uh, was about you shooting down all my ideas. That's that's not strictly that's not strictly <laughs> the way that it's really really works out. So maybe we should explain that. Well, okay. So a, a point that I, I we we discussed offline was that a lot of times what will happen is we'll discuss a bunch of different things and then you'll, we'll have already had the discussion, but we kind of want to have, we kind of want to hash it out on the show. Yeah. Right. Cause people are following along with the story. We feel like if we hide too much, many of this, too much of the decision-making people aren't going to understand why, what's going on and why. So, and, and so, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll bring up the things that I actually already know that Jason doesn't agree with, but I'll say them and propose them. Or like as if it's for the first time, just to get the the, the listener's benefit, um, to so that the listener can see our thinking behind it. Okay, well, so, it's not just that I disagree with them, but you don't even agree with them. Anymore. Well, I know. I basically throw up. I I throw up a pitch, and Jason basically takes you know runs runs with that pitch, and I and the way that we do it is we do it for listeners' benefit. Yeah, exactly. I, we both disagree with them in the first place, and may, maybe we shouldn't do that. But I, in some senses, I think that's part of making a good show. You know, is to kind of show all sides. But probably the way that it comes across is is that I keep on saying this and Jason's disagreeing, but it's not actually. Yeah, well, it just makes you look like, like I. It makes me look like I don't listen to you or I don't value your opinion. When in reality, you you're just trying to throw up all these ideas so that I can and I'll you know, and I'll just take I just take a shot at them because I guess I guess as it is because of the nature of personality, you're always think you think of like a ton of random things like what if we this what do we do that what do we do this yeah. what if we do a what if we do a uh, you know a daily video email what if we do a uh, a promotion with McDonald's I mean just random stuff right I'm just I do and right. I and I always have and that that's so that's so there's the first thing which is is that it's it's curveballs that I throw for Jason on purpose because we've already discussed beforehand. Not that in, and, and, and so if you just throw out like a lot of random stuff, the, re, the, the, the reality with any project is 98% of the ideas are not going to work. Right. And so if you just throw up random stuff and I'm just going to end up being in a position of saying, no, no, no. But I always do throw random stuff up. And as a result, you know, some of that stuff sticks and some of that stuff is the most important ideas that we have in the product. Um, and it, you know, the same thing happens uh, with Jason, but the, but the way that Jason kind of works is he'll kind of throw that random stuff up in his, in his own mind and think it through. Whereas I will just say what I think. <laughs> so that's kind of, you always like to brainstorm out loud. You always come yeah, like, let's exactly. brainstorm. Like you always yeah. want to do like group. And, know. and as, as it so happens, um, working with company 52 through, through that kind of random brainstorming process, I've come up with a business that I'm not, I don't want to go into right now, but I think I, I'm feeling very, good about that company 52 are going to build 
and um, I'll start talking about that probably in the next couple of shows. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I just want to make sure that clarified because I, th- I you know, that uh, I. I obviously do value your opinion. I think um, the fact that you've come with lots of ideas is helpful. I think it's it 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 helps us focus because even if it's something that's not adopted or reused, it makes us understand why we're doing things a certain way. And uh, you know, so I, I you know I just it, I, I guess it came across as um, it might have come across the way it was presented to people that uh, you know I didn't want to do anything that you wanted to do. <laughs> which isn't I think really that, so. We've also had some. Um, comments on the blog that um are let's say pro justin or pro jason or anti-justin or anti-jason and so so um the way that we pitch the podcast in a way we've got like a friendly competition going on and because we're a live you know a show um i think sometimes people can take that a little too far the competitive aspects and back one of us or the other so that's you feel like we have a competitive you well, like- just 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 a little bit. You, well, I mean, yeah, because you know, sometimes you know, you'll say, "Oh, isn't that the thing that I thought of at such and such a time?" And sometimes I'll say that, you know. So okay. we have we have that little kind of friendly competitive vibe, but and I think that some some people um, are backing up the person that they prefer. That's the person that they identify with, right? And so they then might get a little bit aggressive on the blog, which we've seen a little bit of of I guess trolling recently. So yeah, well, so- just the bottom line is that. You know, it's like the the ninety eight percent, ninety nine percent of our comments have been really sort of positive. And if they are critical, they're just not they're not critical in a way. They're like, hey, you guys mentioned X technology. I think you need to consider Y and Z technologies. Or you know, here's another way of doing something that you guys are mentioning. That's really helpful stuff, right? That just makes it that just makes the podcast more useful. It makes us smarter because then we realize that we missed something or didn't know something as well as we, we should know it or wanted to know it. Right. So that's the kind of stuff uh, that is, is really helpful. But you, you know, when you get stuff that, that gets personal and it's just kind of nasty, it's like, nobody wants to read that. Nobody on the blog, no, none of the other listeners want to list, read that. We don't want to read that. So if it's, if it's negative or personal or just kind of out of bounds, I mean, we're not, we're not going to uh, approve it. It's just going to get deleted. And then that's, you- that's basically a new policy that we've come up with. We just, we yeah we we're happy for for um construct uh what is it the word constructual <laughs> constructive no, it's just, it's just we're happy for constructive non- criticism constructive focused yeah, criticism yeah, but, just but constru- personal personal criticism stuff that's just attacking us individually um it's just that's not the kind of show we want you know we want to create like a like a family restaurant here we don't want to create like a brawl <laughs> <laughs> well like, if you wouldn't say it to your, if we would say it over the table to a friend of yours don't say it on the post don't don't post a comment, right? Exactly. Yeah, you, would, just, you would say when you're you're you know a friendly. If you wouldn't say it to a friendly acquaintance acquaintance over dinner, yeah, it's just not acceptable. So anyway, but that's don't uh, hide behind the online disinhibition effect. Uh, I should say disinhibition effect. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Is that what's called the disinhibition? Habit? Yeah, it's the disinhibition effect. So basically, it's where because you're not in the same room, you're you're disinhibited. From saying, you know, your deepest, darkest, aggressivest things. <laughs> so you'll say whatever the hell you want because there really isn't a real person in front of you. But the truth is, is that you know, obviously, we we are real people. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, you know, it's just distracting from what it does. It just distracts you from, you know, it just it's it makes you feel it makes you upset, right? It makes you angry or upset or whatever. In which case, it makes you less productive, and you know, it's just not you know not helpful to anybody. So. 
Okay, so we're now 40, 47 minutes of recording time and we haven't mentioned any kind of uh, <laughs> any story except for any food. And that's fine. That, that's actually fine by me, but I, I don't know if it's fine by the listeners. Um, so let's, so what, have you got any good links for this week? Um, yeah, I do. Well, I got just different, uh, a bunch of random topics. So one, I saw this right. one um, article called Where's Why? It was in Slate. Oh, you see yeah, that? we were speaking about that a while ago. No, tell us. Yeah, well, you remember we, we were... This was maybe like a year and year. We year had and the vague idea of like doing it, chasing him down and doing a documentary with him or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Called "Where's Why." That yeah. was our. That was going to be the the documentary, and we thought, well, at the very least, let's see, let's see if we can get get him on for see if we can interview him. Of course, that was that didn't you know happen. I mean, I I think I I, I did an ask Hacker News thing where if anybody knew how to contact him or whatever, and a couple of people got kind of that rubbed them the wrong way. Like, Hey, you know, you need to leave the guy alone and, and, you know, respect his, his wish to be anonymous or to disappear or something like that. So, um, but we, then we jokingly were talking about like, what if we create a documentary? Maybe we'll never find him, but just the process would be kind of funny. So <laughs> this is essentially what this guy did. And, but he did it not physically and not a documentary, but just sort of writing a, a big, uh, it was a fairly long piece in, in slate. And the, the, the gist of it, was that this guy's I think the guy's name's like Jonathan Gillette or something and he's like a software developer for some company in uh Utah. I guess. I mean huh. I guess it's fairly well known. I guess for people who are particularly curious, like that's not news. Yeah. Um people know it that's that's the guy's real name and but um you know, so what's his what's his story? Well nobody knows. Like he 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 didn't respond to anything. He just sent through the uh I guess someone at the company just responded and says, you know, he's yes Jonathan is why, and he uh, doesn't. Uh, he just wants to be left alone. He's fine, and he wants to be left alone. Was essentially the message. And of course, a lot of the sh- a lot of the articles is speculating on why he um, why did he disappear? Why did he delete all his stuff off the web? You know, he was this sort of creative genius and had all these really crazy and interesting things that he did, and then he just like deleted it all, disappeared. Wow. So. I don't know. So, you know, I mean, people can do things for lots of reasons, especially artistic minded people can be very sort of. So we're none the wiser. Not really. I mean, the fact that you know that, I mean, I guess we always knew it was a real guy living somewhere doing something. <laughs> but you know what this means? Mm. This means that you now have his name and you should contact him and see if you can get him on the show. No, he clearly does not want to be. <laughs> He's done. You know, why would he want to be on a show? He doesn't want to be contacted. And if he doesn't want to be talk, contacted for an email interview for a Something like Slate. Why the hell would he want to be on a podcast? All right. Well, if any, if any of our listeners happen to be buddies with Y, tell him we'd love to have an informal chat with him. Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, really, uh, I'm really happy about something to tell you about. Oh, go on. So did I tell you um, that Colby, for new listeners, Colby's my seven-year-old son, that Colby uh, didn't want to play soccer, told me he didn't want to play soccer anymore? No way. This wow, a, that, must have, that must have cut you deep, Shrek. Yeah, I can't remember if I... Wait, did you cut me, cut me deep? Would you say Shrek? Yeah, they, they say... There's, there's one line in Shrek where, where Donkey goes, You cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me real deep, Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that line, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, those kind of movies, you know, when you have little kids, those movies are constantly being played so like yeah i've seen shrek 25 times so yeah i do i definitely remember that so yes yeah, so what's about i'm i can't i was trying to uh, i was 
asking Sandy, you know, when, when, when he said that, was it two months ago or three months ago? But it was something in that range of two to three months ago. I'm thinking probably about three months. How did he bring it, it up? What did he say? Just, hey, Dad, I just don't want to play soccer anymore. You know, he was at a soccer practice and, you know, a friend of mine had put together this team and, and uh, we went to a couple practices and he kind of, I guess, injured his foot and he just didn't want to play. And I could tell it really wasn't hurt. And then he just says, Dad, I don't want to play soccer anymore. I was just like, wow. Now, for anyone who's new to the show, so Col- Colby's an exceptionally good athlete and a, and, a, and, a, and a really top-notch soccer player. Now, seven sounds kind of silly, but, you know, like anything, like, you know, whether it's piano or gymnastics or whatever, I mean, kids start these things really young and it gets kind of competitive pretty early. And so, you know, of the couple hundred kids in his local AYSO, I mean, he was clearly like one of the top, you know, one or two kids, right? So it's really good. And so he was doing a few of these kind of, he was doing a club team and he would do clinics and, you know, camps and different things. And I probably should have put throttled that, you know? I mean, I probably, even though there was fun stuff to do and it was a way for him to go out and have some fun and get exercises, you know, I should have said, even if there was, you know, a Saturday morning clinic that was going to be really good. I, and he said, oh, I'll, you know, I want to do it. I probably should have just said, now nah, let's just. So he got saturated with it, you think? He did. I mean, he's seven, right? Yeah. And you get burned on that. If you're, I remember when I was in college at the end of like soccer season, end of track season, I was just like done, right? I'm tired of going to practice every day. I just want to like not have to do something, you know, not be obligated to do this thing. Even if I enjoyed it, it becomes a grind. And so, so, so once he said he didn't want to do it anymore, did you try and push it back on him or no, how did you handle I it? I know I immediately was like, I'm, I told Sandy, I said, let's just not even mention the word soccer. Let's not. I just said, okay, you sure you don't want to, you don't want to play anymore, huh? And he said, no. And of course, now for me, that was really sad to hear because he was so good and it was so fun to watch him play. And, and, you know, I love soccer and I was, you know, I played in college and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just thought it would be really fun if he, you know, if he was played and was good because it's such a good sport and that it's so, um, it's healthy, right? It's a lot of running around. It's out, you're, you know, we're living in Southern California. It's year round. You can play year round. It's sunny outside. You go to soccer games, you're not sitting in a gym or in a, an aquatic center or in a, a ice rink. You're outside, the beautiful, you know, beautiful outdoors. And, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of a, a it's kind of a fun sport to do as a kid. And so, uh, what happened? We're on the edge of our seat. <laughs> so I well, first of all, I'd say I was really down about. it. I really was down about it. I was like, man. But then I thought, you know what? He's probably this is probably just temporary. I'll just let it go. And so I told Sandy, I said, let's just six weeks. Don't even mention the word. In six weeks, we'll say, hey, just say, by the way, do you want to? Do you want to go soccer practice with your buddies? You know, see Monty and and Luke and stuff. And we did that once and he just didn't really respond how much. And, and so I was like, well, no, didn't even bring it up. Right. Didn't, didn't bring it up. And then about a couple weeks ago, so I how many weeks him, is this into the, maybe two and a half, maybe 10 weeks in. I said, let's, I'd say with months, ten, 10 weeks since he's done any, you know, and, he, and he went through an entire season of basketball. He had basketball season. Now he's starting to play. Now he's in baseball season. So he's playing basketball and he's playing baseball. And these things aren't like a huge time commitments, right? It's twice a week for like an hour, each pra- a game and a practice or each like an hour. So they're not a big deal. Right. Yeah. And, and so we, um, and so I take him to get his haircut a couple weeks ago and right next to the hair, uh, the, the uh, hair salon is this huge new soccer store. I happen to know the owner. 
And so I said, <laughs> yeah, and, and I just wanted to come to say hi to him. And I was just like, and I just looked at Kobe. I'm like, hey, do you want to walk in and see? Because I had all these cool looking soccer balls, those crazy colors. I was like, oh, you want to walk in and just check out this, you know, some of the new gear? And he's like, yeah. He's like, sure, you know. So we walked in and we're looking in and they had this gigantic, gigantic wall of all these like all these cool new soccer cleats and just they're, they're all these kind of crazy colors now they just getting get wilder and wilder and he's like i'm like oh man look at these and i'm showing him a couple and he's like i like this one so he pulls out these one with like these bright orange cleats or something and he's like i want these dad and i'm like well kobe um you know you're not playing soccer anymore do you you want to I was like, why, why do you want him? As he's like, well, I want to, I want to, I was like, do you want to play soccer again? He's like, yeah, yeah, I want to play soccer again. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. But I, and I was like, okay, well, I said, well, Kobe, I said, tell you what, you know, maybe we'll go out to a, a soccer practice. And if you want to, if you want to go out and you have fun, we'll, we'll, we'll get you a new pair of cleats because it was time to get a new pair anyway. And, but I didn't do anything with it. I said, let's just, I don't want to, I'm just going to let it sit again. And so a couple of weeks went by and, um, and I got a, I got an email from the coach of his club team and it's crazy, but these club teams are, are starting at under seven. So he's been playing with his team for over a year already. And they yeah. play around three days a week. And it's pretty, that's when stuff can get kind of intense. Well, what did you say to those people when he said he was going to pull out? What did you say to the, well, I, the, said, the I said, the Hey, coach. you know, I said, Colby is just not really, he told me he didn't want to play soccer anymore. And I don't really, I said, I just, you know, I don't want to push him and I'm just going to, we're just going to give him a break, you know? And I told him generally, I said, you know, it's when we were growing up, you would play a sport for like two, three months, you know, soccer, football, basketball, whatever it was. And it was over, right? Yeah. At most like soccer of any, oh, cause like you, if you played football, it was in the fall and that was it. You didn't play to the following fall. Maybe you went to football camp for a summer in a, for a week in the summer or something. Same with basketball, same with swim team in the summer, whatever it was. And soccer even then was, it was spring and fall, but even that was not very much cause you'd have like three months off in between. So you were itching raring to go. Yeah. Um, so this idea of like playing year, us doing something year round is just, it's just a lot. And I told him, I said, you know, you guys might want to rethink this. I, I think, I mean, I like, it's nice that it's available so much, but then you, we kind of feel we're one of those families that feel obligated that we always show up to everything, which means we don't like take breaks, but I'm like, yeah. you, you might want to consider taking a couple months off in the winter and a couple months off in the summer or something. Cause I mean, I don't know. Colby's just got burnt out and I think it's really bad. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he emailed me and he just said, I just want to let you know. And Kobe also wasn't really crazy about the coach and, and uh, one of these other players on the team who was kind of this ball hog that just, he drove, drove Colby crazy. And as it turned out, like he called me and said, yeah, we got a new coach who's this really fun guy that Colby liked. And oh, by the way, this kid, you know, has moved on to another team. So mm-hmm. I told Colby, I said, hey, Colby, so I just let you know, Art is now coaching the U7 team, and he'd like to see it come out if you're interested. And, oh, by the way, you know, I don't want to give his name. <laughs> Probably doesn't matter, but I said, you know, so-and-so is not playing anymore. So team. Colby's like, yes! He's like, I want to play! <laughs> <laughs> which is, which, a couple of lessons you learned from that, which is so much of what you do in life is so dependent on the people you're doing it with. Yeah. I mean, you've seen that in classes. You go to college, and you could hear one of your favorite subjects, and you just have a terrible teacher, and it ruins you for life. You're just done with it. You're like, I hate it now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you've heard tons, I've heard tons of stories of people. It's like, oh, I hated English. It's my worst subject, or I hated math. worst subject, and I had this teacher, and it was the most amazing thing ever, and I've always loved it ever since. And um, so that's one thing. It just, it's so dependent on that, the right chemistry, the right teacher, the other kids. And, um, you know, and then the other thing is, of course, just I think as a parent – even if a kid really wants to do a lot of something, you still kind of want to throttle a little bit 
because they can burn themselves out. Even if you're not the one necessarily pushing it, they can, they can do it. So, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I do that, um, with albums. So whenever I get buy music, right. <laughs> I will do it. You're sick of it. <laughs> I know. I, I listen to, I buy an album and I listen to it again and again. I don't know why I just get, I just get hooked. I listen to the same album again and again and again, 24 hours a day for two weeks. And then I hate it and never want to listen to it again for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it's, I don't know, I've never learned that lesson. <laughs> don't order. Well, it's like the same thing with food, you know? It's like you get a new restaurant and then you overdo it and you get right. permaburn. Yeah. We used to call, we had like a, we had a, we had like a series of terms for it, Phil and I, for our, when we did a, when we were our first startup. It's like, there was, there was, all, there was just normal burnout, which means like you couldn't go for a couple of weeks. You're like, yeah, I just like you'd get burnout on like Baja Fresh or something or La Salsa. It's like, I just can't do it. Right. Because right. every day you're like, where are we going to lunch today? Where are we going? Right. Like, oh, let's go to Baja Fresh. I'm like, nah, I got burned. Right. And then the next one would be, would be ultra burn, which means you need like a six months. Like I can't, at least six months, I'm done. <laughs> I cannot do that, you know, chicken teriyaki place again. And then there's perma burn. Like I never in my life, ever. Can I eat that food again? And that usually happens. Sometimes you, that's because if you're already ultra burned and you get forced into going, and then it just yeah. pushes you over the top. Another way, of course, can happen is if um, you get food poisoning and then that's when you like, I can't eat that thing ever again. <laughs> you know, Georgie is the exact opposite to me with this. Like, she, like, like, I will listen to one album again and again for two weeks. She can't bear to listen to the same album twice in a row. But the strange thing is she listens to the radio and she loves listening to the radio and I, I hate listening to the radio. And she knows the words to every single song on the radio. And even though they don't come up as much as me listening to an album every, you know, repeatedly for two weeks, and I don't know the words to an album, even if I listen to it for two weeks, how is that possible? I don't know. You know, I, I, it's kind of weird. Like, I cannot summon a tune. Like, I can't just like, oh, you know that song? I can't start singing it to myself. I, I, it just, it's just... It's like blank. I got nothing. I know. Are I you like good at memorizing words? Uh, memorizing words from songs? I'm not really good at memorizing words from songs. I had a friend like that who he he could never carry a tune, but he could. He would just start. He'd walk into class and he'd be singing a bunch of lyrics. It didn't even sound like singing, and he'd be. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Like, I mean, she remembers every lyric, even to rap songs like um, Eminem or something like that. She <laughs> will just know the entire song. She only needs to hear it three times, and she's got every word down pat. Can you can you record her? rap song and we can play that like in the outro that is a good idea I'll, I'll see if I can do that I'll see if I can do that I don't know how happy she'll be about it Georgie but. rap it like some real hardcore rap <laughs> I just hope that our kids are blessed with, with that memory that she's got yeah yeah so but one thing is funny one thing I do remember is um, is dialogue in movies oh you do I do and I and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of remember things and I'll, I'll read out I'll just kind of repeat lines to Sandy and she's like no I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> but you know who does is my my daughter Izzy, my five and oh, a half yeah. daughter. She's hilarious. Like she would in in books. Like I would read Rumpy Cat to her, and she knew the she had the entire thing memorized. Even before I start saying it, she would repeat the whole page to me. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and Sandy's like, yeah, it's totally annoying. Because she'll be doing that entire time we're listening to movies. She just like is saying the words before they happen the whole time. Yeah. And Sandy and I'll, I'll point out Sandy. She's like, yeah, it's just totally annoying. Oh wow! Wait till wait till she's old enough to watch Greece. She's going to be quoting Greece. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, yeah. All so right. um, I don't know where, how we got on that topic, but uh, oh, okay. speaking of movies. Yeah, can we, I think yeah. you know our TV shows Fringe. I read about Fringe, so it's still not been determined whether Fringe is going to go into I think a fifth season. Hmm. 
Well, like I, I didn't see the end of this this last season. Or has, has it ended yet? No, no. There's a whole. They get a whole another block of shows. Probably another eight or twelve. That'll I come. could understand why it wouldn't go into a fifth season without saying anything. I mean, I personally am feeling like, you know, that thing that you were saying was the good thing about it. How they managed to maintain the is are they or aren't they going out thing because of <laughs> the different universes. I actually think that's kind of tired at this stage. Hmm. I, that's my feeling. But anyway, yeah. Tired. What's it? Remember the old the uh, the Wired magazine? You'd have tired, expired, and wired. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what what was your point about the fifth season? It's just well, just that I, I looked it up. I, I think I, I just I did a search because I was just curious. I mean, it's it's one of the few shows that I actually really look forward to. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, it's like I think they the, the, they're going to definitely do the rest of the season. They probably already shot shot most of it, and uh, it just hasn't been determined yet was be a fifth season or not. So that would be a bummer because we already lost uh, Stargate Universe. Yeah, really. It's like I don't know. Is there anything else good on? Well, it's a shame. I mean, I, I, luckily for me, I've discovered that I really like teenage dramas. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a whole slew of stuff that I can watch and really enjoy, but I don't think you'd like it. <laughs> like what? Like Kyle X Y, like Vampire Diaries, <laughs> like like Smallville. <laughs> well, Smallville, I've heard is really good. I, what, who was it we had on the show? Who was a big Smallville fan? I think Gabriel Guy- Weinberg of. Oh right, right? Didn't he? Wasn't he a Smallville fan? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I I can't remember. I I don't know if um yeah. And then there was um, so my wife likes all the do you, like the sort of it's almost like the like chick lit chick lit for uh, TV shows like oh, uh, right. Gossip Girl. Oh yeah, no, I don't Smash. watch that. <laughs> yeah, oh god she's like oh and glee I'm like oh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> glee sucks oh god like, I that really sucks do it I, it gossip girl i'm like well why is this i want to hear from listeners i want you to, if, if you like glee right i want you there's to gonna, post there's gonna be some people who are like glee come on i want you to post on our blog and, t- and i want you to stand up proudly and say that you love glee <laughs> <laughs> there's someone in for everyone right some love it. i mean you know what i mean look I, it's, there's nothing to say it's just i can't i can't do it but um what's funny is so sandy sort of watches all this stuff when i'm not around because she because it irritates her if i'm around kind of complaining about it so like right. if, in gossip girl it's a well-made show but all the people are so annoying i mean everybody's really evil and and sort of underhanded and i'm just like well, why is people acting this way you know she's like we just <laughs> go away <laughs> You know what annoys Georgie so much? When we're watching a movie and we watch like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Say, say for example, that movie, right? So they will, they will basically shrink. The, uh, basically, what I always do is I always talk, come up with, how, that's ridiculous. That's so impossible. Like when they shrink the bees down. So the bee, they just say, they, they explain the science as, um, we just took away the space between the atoms, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have this little bee. But the bee is still the... the or um, no, they shrink down the person, but the person is still the the weight of a real person flying on a bee's back, right? Mm-hmm. Which is basically impossible. And so I will always just say, "Do you drive her nuts?" Yeah, just <laughs> well, you that's, know, that's yeah. ridiculous. You, you gotta, know. you gotta kind of go with. It's like they call it the suspension of disbelief. You gotta, yeah. you know, it's like the core thing. Like I can suspend disbelief, like with Lost. Like okay, we're on this crazy island. This weird stuff happens. Okay, I'm with you. Time travel, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm in. It's just as long as, as long as the characters are themselves are believable, that they're behaving in a in a believable manner, and their relationships are believable, I can go with the, you know, the time travel or 
whatever, you know, that's fine. But uh, yeah, I can see it's annoying. If someone goes, yeah, man, time travel, come on, give me a break. You'd be like, dude, shut up. I'm trying to watch the damn show. <laughs> Who's this Jacob guy anyway? Like, how's the physics of that work? <laughs> like, get this guy out of here, man. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're an hour and seven minutes into recording time. We have <laughs> discussed nothing of any consequence. Do do you have I'd any say like we're like two and a half years in and we haven't uh, discussed anything of any consequence? <laughs> if you're waiting, if you want something of any consequence, you might want to go over to Star Wars with the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, start us the rest of us. <laughs> if you're yeah. looking for consequence, go over there. Um, All right, we're the we're like the room. See, they're they're actually I say they're the Star Wars the rest of us is actually like a uh, conference presentation, like ten right. days to like you know launch your website with or whatever. We're like the guys in the uh, pub who <laughs> are skipping out on the presentation. That's what our, our show is, I think. Yeah, like the, like the guys smoking on the side. It's like, yeah, I was going to go to the presentation, good conversation. but there's no chairs left, so uh, what are you guys doing? Like, I don't know. You seen Fringe? <laughs> so anyway, um, all right, all right. Let's see. Um, I got a bunch of stuff here. The question is, what do I want to bring up? Um... Oh, one thing I want to ask of uh, is, you know, we were talking about that MySQL failover issue last last week. Oh yeah, yeah. And someone posted um, on the on the blog. I mean, I I had I had said, oh well, maybe you could just do it with text files. And someone, well, sorry, who was it who posted that? Stuart Robinson. Oh yeah, yeah. Just you know, no, no. But someone had said, don't reinvent the wheel as well, which was good good criticism. Basically, that there's already a few different replication techniques. Um, yeah, well, Stuart, Stuart Robinson has said that. You know that the MySQL uh, replication is sort of really simple. It's kind of you know built in, um, and that you could just set up a VPS at another hosting provider, another part of the country, and just do MySQL uh, replication between the the two VPSs. Yeah, that sounds really straightforward. Now the only question I have about that, I haven't done. I was m- meaning to do a Google search on this before the show, but I forgot. But now, how do you deal with? Um, the DNS change. Well, that is, I, I, I mean, so basically I think what they're talking about is MySQL. I guess, I guess it's going to be some kind of, um, you're going to have to do it at the top level, like wherever the registrar is, switch it over but that, there. But that doesn't usually happen immediately. I mean, you, you, sometimes you're lucky and it happens in like 15 minutes, but sometimes it can happen like, you know, take hours to get the, for the DNS change. So if you switched over to a different VPS at a different IP address, I guess there's probably some kind of box in front which basically routes routes the um, DNS calls through. So that I guess it's a that's a like you'd have a load uh, load balance system it, it, in front of everything. But that's still a single point of failure. So if that was at Rackspace or something, Rackspace goes down. You're still whole things down. There's still there's, yeah, there's still your single point of failure. Well, I don't know how you could do that. Then that would be great if if a listener could post up. I've seen that um, it was. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce this name. Ekio, S-E-O, E-C-I-O. Anyway, he says, um, hi guys, I've been following you for the last uh, months and I always like your podcast. But this time I'd like to criticize you a bit. The first is specific. Justin, please don't reinvent the wheel by manually shipping every query log to another server. Please use available replication solutions. Okay, I will. There you go. You see, don't say that we don't take criticism that, that we that we don't take your advice. Oh, that's helpful criticism. That's good. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, I think Alfie, who's a listener, is a big MySQL replication expert. 
I need to follow up with him on that. I think he wrote some stuff, so maybe just then we need to get Stuart Robinson, who who basically um, gave me some advice about optimizing uh, Plugio. Don't we need to get him into Anyfoo? Yeah, well, I've you know, I've, I he was on the list of people I I kept saying asking you like who are the people you worked with, right? Well, you out. There's a Drupal guy. There was I think uh, you you worked with you know I guess and Stuart. There was at least two or three people. Did you contact them or what? Yeah, well, but just I'll I'll follow it up. Follow that up after the show. Yeah, you're gonna have to. You have to get on people. I tell you yeah. what, like you definitely have to get on people. People, it's like it's not that they don't want to do it. People just have like you know a lot of other stuff to do, and it's like setting up a profile <clears throat> isn't something you can do in in three minutes. Well, he's probably been waiting for us to get in contact with him, and we haven't. So, but we do need to. Well, that's your fault. Yeah, my Bad. fault. All right, you're not a <laughs> nice person. Um, so, all right, ooh. The NSA, here's a title, everyone. The NSA is building the country's biggest spy center. Watch what oh, you say. You is see, this the dark segment of the show? This is the, uh, the, the, the doom and gloom report. No, this isn't doom and gloom report, but this is the sort of dimming the lights a little bit. All right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I didn't write a bunch of, I didn't take a bunch of notes on this one because um, I just read it late last night. But um, it was done by James Bamford, who's written a couple of books on the subject, uh, The Spy Factory. And, you know, he's written, he's gotten some awards for his writing. And this, the, the thing he wrote was put into, I think, the, and I think he, the book was called The Shadow Factory, but NPR made a, um, a, a special on it called The Spy Factory. Mm-hmm. And he's got a couple, like The Puzzle Palace was like his first book on the subject. He's written a few books on the subject. And he's written for the New York Times and Harper's and Atlantic. So what was written? So essentially, they're building this huge new facility in Utah. It's just massive. Like, it's four, four times the size of the Capitol. Like Person of Interest. Have you seen that show? No. Person of Interest is a show that has Ben from Lost, who's built this machine that basically tracks everyone in the world. And uh, it, it basically follows each person through uh, your cell phone and, ca- you know, traffic camera lights. And basically, it knows everyone intimately and use um, prediction algorithms to predict when you're going to commit a crime. It's not that far yet, but essentially, according to his sources inside, and one, and one of the guys was the, a guy named Benny or something. He, he led, like, I think the encryption team for, like, you know, four decades or three. I mean, he's, he was a huge, big, big big time guy in there but since leaving he um he's had a lot of misgivings about the direction it's gone in and he said that they're they're essentially they have um these what they call these taps at you remember how there's a big thing in 2006 that that the nsa had put some kind of listening device um on at the um, at&t's san francisco like a like kind of like kind of like a switching station do you remember that no i don't yeah, well, there's a big thing in 2006. It came up it was on 60 Minutes, and you know, it was uh, I think I don't know who who um, I don't know, I can't remember which magazine or newspaper broke the story, but it was a big deal. And because the guys there is like, yeah, these guys from NSA came in and they had this this room. They went in and they just kind of ho- hooked up this like massive machine to our to our directly into our like uh, cables or fiber. Their, their fiber and was just sucking everything in. And they did that to. He says he estimates they've done that about 10 to 20. Basically, all of the major switching statements on AT&T and Verizon and the entire U.S. Not just getting um, international communication, but all domestic communication. And he says, basically, they're storing every single email and phone call that happens. Period. Everything is being stored. Wow. And that, yeah, because like, they say, like, you know, you can store a terabyte of information like your size, and something the size of your thumb. So what would you need something that's, you know, four times the size of the capital? 
you know, and they're storing, it says, I can't remember like how many, it's like, there's some estimate that it was like, you know, 20 trillion transactions or communications the last 10 years have been stored and that they're storing, um, and that they've, they're really working or they've had some big breakthroughs in like breaking strong encryption, like the AES algorithm. And that the one reason they're storing some stuff or the fact that they've stored some stuff that's even though it's encrypted, that they're going to be able to go back and break that stuff. And that they have these massive, massive Cray computer, which is like, I don't know, a couple petaflops or something. And, but they've actually had this classified computer system that they've been working on. That's, you know, incredibly expensive. That's supposed to be. They, they've had some massive breakthroughs on that. It's just they're they're, they're trying to move the computing power a, th- a forward a thousandfold. Well, that's pretty. That's depressing. I think that is doom and gloom. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, you know, I was saying this back in like 2006. Like they're going to be probably storing everything, and they're probably, you know, you know, everything that you email or, you know, you talk every conversation over Skype, every phone call, it's being stored and everything is being, you know, and it's there to being analyzed. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's, 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 what's really dangerous about um, data mining is that you can be set up a profile, like you said this or you said that, and all of a sudden now you're on a watch list, right? And now mm. you're one, because I guess there's a couple million people now who are on like a, a watch list. Can you imagine that? A couple million people? So I guess you need to not say anything <clears throat> that's dangerous. And, uh, just be really, really nice. Screw that. Screw that. Yeah. yeah. So basically, you know, but you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, and it's what he said. He's like, you know, the guy, the, 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 um, the. Uh, I wish I, what was his name here. Let me see if I find his name. Um, hold on one second. It's, Let's put it this way: as long as Adam McCurry's safe, I know that I'm safe because that guy says stuff that's way, way more. Well, no, uh, it's, 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 it's not at that level. It's not at that level yet. But what happens is, is that it's like a slow, it's like, you know, a slow motion train wreck. You know, right. it's like, it's like all of a sudden now, you know, everything that anyone says is being, is being uh, scanned and, 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 uh, and, you know, searched for incriminating things. Now that may not mean anything now, but 10 or 15 years, you know, who knows what that can grow into, right? That's bad enough as it is. But, you know, people just don't seem to care. And, um, and uh, a lot of people generally have the attitude like, well, hey, if you're not doing anything wrong, you shouldn't matter. But I, 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 mean, I, I just don't know how you could stop it, though. I mean, let's say you could convince everyone to care about it like they cared about SOPA. I mean, all that will happen is people will make, you know, put a few black icons on Twitter or something, but nothing will ever really change well, i mean you know if, i mean if you had that i mean yeah if you have a hundred thousand people on reddit care it may or may not do anything if you have you know 20 million people or 50 million people care then you know politicians start backtracking and shutting things down but um you know i mean you know it's just another example of you know the i think uh you know it's like you know, the ndaa thing remember i told you about that about how the uh you know they gives sort of gives sort of legal cover for the um the president to just say, well, we're going to execute this American, you know, no mm-hmm. matter where he lives. I mean, you right. know, so there's that, well, that guy, Alawaki, who was executed and his, and two weeks later, his 16 year old son was executed. I mean, you know, that's, he's Americans. You can just execute an American because he's Arab and lives in another part of the country. I mean, this guy's an American. You have to like bring them to tr- charge with something and bring them to trial. And you can't just execute people and you can't, mm. and you're not supposed to be able to spy on people, much less everybody, you know, but uh, yeah, that's enough for the. We'll, we'll put the lights up. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great um, and it's a great article. It's in uh, Wired um, under, under their, their threat level section, and it's called the uh, the NSA is building the country's biggest spy center. Watch what you say. Um, wow. 
So Kevin Rose will join Google. They're shutting down Milk. I saw that story. I'm, I'm interested to hear about that. I didn't read the details. I just saw the headline. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I guess they shut down Oink. Or they're shutting down Oink of the week. I can't, I can't remember if they did it immediately. What's just, Oink? Oink is, I, the impression I got it was one of these things that, like, you can, um, I think it's like you could, it's like kind of like a virtual reality. Like, you're walking around a city and you kind of leave messages or, or I don't know, give comments on you like this thing or the other thing. I don't know. It's one of these sort of check-in, give comments or rate things or, you know, mobile apps. I don't really know. Um, so what, what's he going to do at Google? Anyway. <laughs> what's he going to do at Google? I don't know. So it's like, I think their whole team is going over this. So they returned the investment capital to the investors, right? To the VCs. And their whole team is just being absorbed by Google. Which seems really weird to me because, you know, you'd think as an entrepreneur that you'd want to be doing your own thing. Why would you want to be absorbed by the Borg? That is weird. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, it, it, it depends on, <clears throat> maybe they, maybe... I get so so milk itself, right? Was something like a Bill Gross Idea Labs? Is that correct? So basically, it's like this launch a lot of little, but they were going to do the model. So Bill Gross. So here's a couple different models. Okay, you have the Bill Gross model with Idea Lab, where he would come up with an idea and then he would hire a team of I think it was seven or eight people was their sweet spot a number of, of people because it was enough people that they didn't have too many. They got too expensive, but they had enough people to get stuff done. To get eight, seven or eight member team that would then um, launch the idea, and in an idea lab would retain some significant stake, like half the company or something. Basically, right? sort of like the original Y Combinator, but taking it from a different angle. No, no, because Y Combinator was so. So that's what Idea Lab was. This was way before Y Combinator, right? This is back in the late '90s, and then Y Combinator came along and was like, okay, we'll take, you know, 6% of your company and give you like 20 or 30 grand for a summer. And then you guys, you know, do your thing. You work where you want, you do whatever you want. We'll, 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 we'll introduce you to some investors on demo day and we'll try and give you some advice along the way if you want it, but you know, do your thing. Well, it's similar in a sense because it, it's, it's a hub, right? So Idea Labs, both Idea Labs and Y Combinator are a hub. And in that hub, they're working on generating startups. The key difference is, is that in Idea Lab, um, Bill Gross and his team are coming up with all the ideas, whereas in Y Combinator, they're all coming in from the outside. And I guess the other difference is the small amount and the kind of live-in experience that you get with Y Combinator and the small amount of investment. But it's similar yeah. in, the, in one sense, you know, that it is a, a basic hub trying to create lots of startups. Sure, sure. But it's fundamentally a different model in the sense like Bill Gross owned, had controlling stake, or at least a very... I can't remember if it was controlling but that stake. Was the, that was the first... First incubator to to my to my um, if I understand correctly, I think Bill Gross was the first incubator, and you could certainly call Y Combinator an incubator. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's. I don't know if you'd call it an incubator because the incubators usually like you. They usually, I think traditionally you would call an incubator as a company that would you would go and you would work on site. They would give you office space and even give you a salary and give you and and I, I don't know. I mean, I think you, it's kind of a gray area. You could argue either way, but I think. Uh, Idea Lab was more like the idea uh, incubator model, which is what you had. There was a lot of copycats of Idea Lab in the late nineties. Right. A lot of these incubators raise a lot of money, get this big office building, hire some people, set them in a room, and say, "This is your company. We'll take you know twenty, thirty, or forty percent stake. We'll pay you guys salaries, and then we'll give you accounting and graphic and you know graphic design help and hosting, and then you guys do take care of everything else." You know, whereas obviously um, 
um, yeah, like Commodore was much of a lighter touch. Like, hey, you can work out of your own apartment, <clears throat> maybe show up to pizza night on Thursday night and hear a demo speaker. And if you want office hours, you can come and talk to me if you want, you know, okay. where Milk is closer to like a 37 singles. Like, hey, we got, you know, half a dozen smart people. We got a bunch of different ideas. We're just going to build a bunch of things and launch them and see what happens. So maybe part of the reason that they want to go into Google is they want the stuff that they want to build. They want more ambition behind it. They want more scale. So they want to be able to pull in more people into doing something like that. I'm just, just throwing that out there. I mean, I don't know, but maybe. I don't know. I mean, yeah, but Dig got big. It didn't need some external big company. It got big um, on its own merits, right? I mean, Dig, Maybe Kevin Dig Rose was- wants a large stake of Google. You know, like, like, obviously he's not going to get like, you know, 20% or something. Google. No, not, he's not going to get 20%, but what, what he could end up with is, you know, many millions of dollars worth of shares, I'm guessing, right? No? You think it's, so basically you think it's for the money, maybe. <sighs> I can't think of... Did you I think mean, of a dig that he probably made some money off a dig? I mean, I don't, I don't think he's has his own private jet, but I think he's probably financially set for life, you know? He probably made at least, I mean, I would have thought an absolute minimum of 30 million. I don't think he would have. He had so, if he had sold the company, they never sold the company, and it lost a lot of its value. But I bet you he cashed out at least a couple million, maybe two or three million. You and, think as low as that? Yeah. Yeah, I would bet. I mean, I don't really know. Maybe someone has more info on that, but I, I, I don't think because they they had some situations, opportunities to sell out. To, I think Google almost bought Dig. Wow. You know, and if they had sold kind of near the high, yeah, he would have had a ton of money and really cleaned up, but he didn't. And he kind of messed around and was kind of, you know, he was in and then he left, was doing other stuff. And then they kind of came back and then they relaunched. It was a big disaster. And so, you know, I'm sure in one of those funding rounds, he probably took some money off the table. I had an opportunity to take some money off the table, but there's only so much money they're going to let you take off the table. I mean, it's one thing to take a, you know, half a million dollars or a million dollars off the table. It's nothing to take 20 million you know, on a funding round, unless you're exiting and selling the company. That's interesting. So, I mean, I could say like, you know, being on the front cover of time, right? <laughs> that's just being on the cover. Yeah. the, 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 the <laughs> Like you would expect that someone who's on the front cover of time hailed as the genius of web 2.0 would be, I don't know, 10 million rich. <laughs> anyway, that's I bet you he's not, I, I, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you have any more inside knowledge on this or even just did a, Good Google search and got a number for us. Please put a comment. But I bet you it's like, yeah, but he's not worth more than a million or two million dollars. I think about it, and uh, you know, and so, but but he still has a street cred in the sense that he can raise money from probably in really good terms, probably from any angel investor, you know, in in the valley or VCs, and and kind of set up shop and just like he did with Milk, right? Like, hey, we're gonna do this cool thing. I'm gonna, you know, get a half dozen of my buddies, and you know, you know, we're always smart, and we have all these cool things we want to so do. So he was bought by Google. Milk was bought by Google, or I mean, how? I mean, it's what they call an aqua hire. I think what they did is they they paid enough to give the investors to make the investors have their money back plus a little return, so the investors weren't grumpy about it, right? And they probably. You know, the each of his, the whatever half dozen people working at Milk, including Kevin Rowe, has probably got a nice, you know, here's here's you know half a million dollars, kid, you know, that kind of thing, and then come work with us and help us, uh, you know, help us push Google Plus or whatever to the next level with all the things you've done with mobile and day. Right. Well, well. So what you've described, I mean, if if what you're saying is true, then I think it's definitely for the money. I can't think of any other reason. Yeah, because you can build things to scale, especially someone with that kind of recognition, name recognition. If you've got a good idea and uh, it's going to go to scale, you know, 
you know, pretty quickly. And I don't, I don't mean scale like Facebook scale immediately, but you know, you'll, you'll, it'll work. You know, it's not like they're, they're, they're obscure people. I thought that was well, kind of weird because yeah. it feels like there's a lot. There's, I mean, it's one thing if you got bought for, for, for $30 million or $50 million or something, but I don't think that's what happened. I think it was Aquahire, like, you know, Posterous was bought by Twitter. Hmm. You remember hearing about that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it was an Aquahire. I mean, I don't, I don't know the specifics of it, but the, but the end, and I, I did a search on it to see if I could find out about like how much they might have been bought for, but no numbers were being rumored. So, and the impression I get, it was, or the way it sound, sounded like in reading it was, a, was an aqua hire. You know, that was kind of like, Posterous didn't have a good a business model. I mean, they had a cool product. They had good name recognition. They had a lot of respect within the Valley for what they had built. But um, as, a, as a sustainable, high growth business model, I, I think that it, it sort of, it didn't, it didn't get, get there. So oh, it's just like a Hunch. Remember Hunch? Yeah, uh, no. You know, you know where Hunch is? No. Hunch was this thing where you would, uh, was started by uh, Katarina Fake of Flickr and Chris Dixon. Do you know Katarina Fake Flake is? Do you know? Nope. Ask me some more. Ask me some more. I'll, you know, I'll say no. No. Dude, no, what have you been doing for the last 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you what I've been doing. I've been working on startups. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. <laughs> Building like, startups. What's going on? All right. Well, so Katarina Flake was the, um, one of the founders of, um, of Flickr. You know Flickr, right? Uh, no, no, yeah, go on, I do, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so she was big. <laughs> she was the designer, and uh, I, you know, I think she had a lot to do with the product vision and everything. I mean, I mean, there was something. There was like, um, I think I'm, I'm blanking on all their names. I remember, um, I, I can see their faces, but anyway, so she later. Can, started- can, I, can I just interject here? I just want to say how sick I am of those kind of startups. Those kind of build it, grow it, and then work out how to monetize it. And that's something that I do love about what we're doing and what we've been doing on this show, bootstrapping. Um, we got basic, one transaction, baby. Yeah, I mean, like the, you know, it, we're building business models. We're not building eyeballs sites. Uh, really like that. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. Okay, so you should write an, uh, a um, a blog post on it. Maybe like <laughs> porn or something. Huh. Yeah, maybe that would be a good title for it. Oh yeah, entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay. So um. You know, Chris Dixon, um, he, uh, he had like a security, a startup, had, I think it had to do with like uh, security stuff and it was, bought, it was absorbed by some larger company and um, I think uh, McAfee or something like that. And uh, they, they started uh, uh, Hunch together. Hunch was this, was this website where you could, you would, it would ask you a handful of questions about what you thought, you know, do you like this kind of food? Or do you like this kind of food? Do you like this kind of music? Or do you like that kind? Of, and they could sort of peg you as a certain kind of person just based on like a dozen questions or half a dozen questions even. And after that, they would give you all kinds of different recommendations. It was like an AI recommendation service. Cool. Did it work? Go anywhere? Do anything? I think it worked as sort of a recommendation engine in terms of it could recommend stuff, but I don't think it, they had a real business model out of it. They never, mm. it wasn't really, it was a cool technology. It was a cool trick but it really wasn't solving some big pain point. It's not people saying, oh, God, I just really need stuff recommended to me. <laughs> you know, I just, no, nothing gets recommended to me. I need something. I need a book or a movie or a restaurant. I need something. I mean, you know, I don't think. Well, I mean, there are a lot of times when you go to those, you know, you go to sites and you, you are looking for recommendations. So I guess, you know, there are other businesses that build their whole, I mean, Yelp just IPO'd for God's sake. <laughs> Yeah, but um, that's a recommendation no, uh, engine. 
in a way, it was a little different, right? People rate restaurants, and if you're looking for certain restaurants in an area, well, anyway, there's a, there's just more abstract, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't yeah. a concrete like there is a concrete problem we're trying to solve that people will pay for. It was sort of yeah. this sort of abstract thing, and if you're, well, if we now, have a powerful engine, we can plug it in, and other businesses can license our technology, and you could see how that might work. I've forgotten why we're talking about Hunch in the first place. Can you? Well, can you remind me? It was another example of an aquahire. Oh, okay, okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bought I you now I'm trying to blank who bought who bought uh, Hunch was it uh, was it no Google who bought Hunch look it up you got the fast fingers what's who bought Hunch type in who bought and Hunch. we care why okay hold on Hunch um, eBay buys Hunch to improve long tail shopping right there you go okay but it was also it was one of those things where people were like you know people felt felt like it was probably the VCs behind it talk to the management it's like we need you to buy this company of ours <laughs> for around 80 million yeah yeah not too bad yeah it's not bad so, we'll somebody. so listen we've been recording for one hour 32 so we should probably be uh, be thinking about starting to wrap up wow already huh yeah Jeez. we can't we can't be going with those two hour shows every week all right i got a couple small things in okay go on then um so i was uh, just a little epic night update so Gowan and I were, you know, busily working on App Ignite where we put a couple, two, three good days in last week. Cool. And it was, uh, it was interesting, you know, because we rewrote, the whole thing was built in PHP. And what we ended up doing is rewriting the vast majority of it in JavaScript and running a client side because it was just too sluggish. Yeah. It, was, it became too unresponsive and it was just sort of, it was just painful to use in that way. And, and, um, so, but that turned out to be a massive undertaking. The combination <laughs> of that, and then of course me being a little distracted with Inifu, and then having to put a lot of time into Uber, you know, made turned what could have been, you know, a two-month effort into like a eight-month effort. Right. You know. So I thought it was going to be. I knew it was going to be complicated. It was going to be a big deal. I didn't think it would be that big a deal, but it turned out to be. Again, I have no idea how long anything should take. That's why. <laughs> it's, it's like I, I can never predict how long it's going to take me to do something. Um, so, and and yesterday, no, it was, no, it was yesterday. It was like a few days ago. We're we're working on it, and it's getting close. And it, it, we're getting re, we we're getting much closer to the thing being back to life and actually working to where it was before. And I started to add, saying like, you know, maybe we should like, how can we pare back the ambition of Apignite? It, so we can get something that is simpler that works really well, and we have something that we can just release, right? Because good, it's such. Good. A, I'm glad you're thinking that way. Well, it's such an ambitious project that you're like, well, all this stuff kind of has to be in place. Otherwise, it's just not enough that anyone's going to use it. It's not a complete enough solution. And and then I started thinking, well, maybe you know what? what and then I, and then I actually really started my mind started going down the the pivot route. So I started thinking, like, what, you know, what can we do to get this thing out? Um, and, I, and I started thinking of how I was using AppIgnite, like how I use it to generate sort of the skeleton framework for App, uh, Anyfu. Mm -hmm. I mean, it generated the routes and auto-loading and some of the basic views and login systems and the basic models. And it just, you know, sort of, it ignited the application, right? It got, got it off the ground. And, but, you know, it could, it could do it could be better in that and that it could, um, you know, you could, rather than having the Apignite be able to do anything and everything that you might want to be able to do or 95% of it, 
what if it could generate the skeleton and then generate all pieces as you need them? Right? Because you figure you're going to be doing custom stuff. But you're like, oh, I need a model and I need this view and I need that view. What if you just went and just generated it and then just sort of downloaded those and then put them on your on your system? Yeah, cool. Um, <clears throat> I mean, but, so what what that's like, it's like the bake. So with, um, well, I'm not sure what they call it on Ruby on Rails, but on Cake, which is basically Ruby on Rails for PHP, they call that the bake system. Mm-hmm. So basically you go in and you say, I need, you know, I, I need these models, I need these views, and this, it, it, it builds it all based off the, um, first of all, you create the database structure, and then it builds it all off the database structure and creates the, what they call the boilerplate, boilerplate code for all of those sections. Mm-hmm. I suppose the difference is, is that the underlying framework is documented, open source, and very easy to kind of explore and understand. But with, with Apignite, you would have to do that. You'd have to kind of have the full documentation of the underlying structure of how to build an app on on that generated yeah. stuff. And that's what I was thinking of doing because it's, it's, it's a much, I mean, of course, the Anyfoo, I'm sorry, Anyfoo, the Apignite framework is small in comparison to these other. It's really simple. Yeah. So I don't know. I've been playing around with that idea. So I think what we're going to try and do is just get something, you know, relatively simple in terms of its ambition just to get it out there. Cause you know, we've been working on this thing for whatever, well over two years now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I'm just like, I mean, there's a part of me that's running out of gas on it, you know, just like, God, this is just taking forever. And I just want to get something done. And, but I'd like to be able to, it's still useful. It's something that I want to be able to use, but it doesn't have to do all these other things at the very least. It, if it does these other basic things well enough, then that will be useful. I wonder if, I mean, like I've seen App Ignite and it's very, very good, right? What it can do, the the basic the basic way that you've structured the routing and the framework and all that. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, the framework competes against Ruby on Rails and like mm-hmm. stands, stands kind of head to head. If, you know, I just, I have to, I've said this to you a number of times, I just wonder if it should be open source, if it should be like a, an open sourced effort and where you've, you know, you've got the entire community um, helping to collaborate on commits and breathing life into it and basically pulling something different, you know, put, putting a new kind of high quality framework out there. Because I think some of the concepts that you've got in it are not the same as Ruby on Rails and it kind of would be faster and perhaps more efficient. Um, but I don't know, once again, I don't know how that would translate to financial reward for you, but I know yeah. that it would it would translate to name recognition and to some other, but be- there would be other benefits. I mean, it could help us get experts for any food, for example. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, all those things. I don't think, I mean, yeah, but I think to the degree that it would be successful, that would be like, you know, the amount of effort put into the amount of results is negligible, you know. Um, I think I think the whole, you know, I think getting payoff from, from releasing another framework thing, especially in languages that are older, is sort of like nil. Like who, like, who created Code Igniter? Who created okay, Symphony? Nobody knows. What about... Know? Uh, no, you no. You use those things, you don't even know who they are. No. Okay, okay, fair enough. What about, um, what about like, a subsection of easy website building, like WooFoo Forms or something like that? Yeah. What about doing something like that? Yeah, I see, I don't know if I want to pivot 
that far. I'm, I'm just trying to think. Like, I, I'm thinking, yeah, I, what, what I would do maybe is just open source the framework itself, the underlying framework, because mm-hmm. I think people are going to have access to it anyway. Might as well make that open source and that, because who, you know, who cares? That's not something that you're monetizing. You, you can't really monetize. You shouldn't even, I don't think you should try and monetize something like that. Um, but uh, you open source the AppIgnite framework and you make it, you, you kind of build a sort of like a micro framework, right? This is really simple. It's like it's something to figure out in like 15 minutes. It's not like, oh, geez, I'm going to have to spend weeks figuring out this, this massive complex framework. It doesn't do a million different things, but it does things you need in a very simple way. It kind of looks so, like okay, so you open source the framework and then how do you, so then you monetize on people basically being able to super speed and super start building stuff with that framework by using AppIgnite proper. Is yeah, right? maybe something like that. Maybe you go on AppIgnite and you can set up an account and create applications that'll generate everything and it'll generate a lot. The initially, it will, I was thinking the first version will be less ambitious and it will generate the basic stuff you need. But as it goes along, it could generate more, more advanced applications. I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just sort of, you know, thinking, I don't, I don't have an answer to those questions. But it is like, it obviously was an incredibly ambitious project and has been going on for a long time. I want to, I don't like giving up on things. So I want to bring it to some kind of um, conclusion or have something that's released that we can release that that's usable by other people other than just us. Yeah. You know, and I'd like to see it become something, but you know, I've also seen, you know, cause you can fail on two and just there's sort of the two errors that you can make. There's one is that you give up too soon. You have to start up an idea and you give up after a couple months because you get bored. And the other one is you stick with something for years and years when it's like, you know, you the sunk cost like, fallacy, basically the sunk costs, you know, it's, it's not a fallacy. It's cognitive bias. So it's a sunk cost cognitive bias, which is that you, you value something more just because you spent time on it. It may not be more valuable, but you've just get all this time. And that's, that's something I was going to be wary of that. You just, you, you become, you've drank, you've drunk your own Kool-Aid to such a degree that you can't see things for what they are and that you overvalue these things more than you should. And you should maybe work on something that's a little simpler that, you know, you can have a more, have an easier chance of making into a, uh, a profitable venture. I mean, one thing that, you know, that I'd say to that is when we first discussed any foo, we said, well, that's something really simple. You know, we can build that in two weeks. And that, that project of Anifu is, is like one little tiny thing that AppIgnite should be able to build. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, that, like, it's th- I think this is the classic case of it's very difficult for humans to understand the power of ex- the exponential, right? And I think that it's like, I rem- you know what? I remember um, watching a video about SEO optimization. And one of the things said, one of the things that the guy said, you, you'll never understand how many different keywords there could be. Like, you'll never understand that that, that is utterly, utterly limitless. And, I, and, right. and to me, it's like, no, you're right. I don't understand it. There, there can't, it can't be that much. But actually, it really is like it's utterly limitless number of keywords. There's always going to be new keyword possibilities. And so for, for a framework, for a software development framework, I, I, I guess it might be the, a similar kind of concept. What do you think? Yeah, I know. I, I still think that you can generate a significant portion of what you need using base, the fundamental building blocks, but you can't generate everything as long as you have, as long as you give people hooks and that they can extend it and customize yeah. it. So I still think all oh, that's possible. I was just like, how much, I'm just wondering how much longer it's going to take to get there for yeah. us, you know? And, um, 
that's all. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to spend two more years working on something and not have something released. You know, I, I, it's like, I don't want to spend six more months working on something and not have it released. So, I mean, you know, I just, I mean, any has been painful because I wanted this release three months ago and it's, we're still just getting in a sort of soft launch phase now. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we really started, it was July that we really kind of started working on it. July and August, right? I'd be interested to see what, uh, so uh, what I, what I would say is I think that just getting something out the door with any foo uh, with, uh, Apignite would be really good for you and Guyon just to do that because you may find you never know what's going to happen. It's just like how Twitter came out of o- o- Odeo or whatever it was, Odo. Um, Odeo. Like, Odeo. You, you never know how it could pivot through interactions with, with clients or whatever. So I, I say it doesn't matter what you do. Just get something out there yeah. so that you're, you're interacting with customers just the same way we've been doing with Anyfoo, and then it could lead to any number of possibilities. Yeah, no, that's right. It's, but, you know, so that's, so that's why I'm trying to like, how can we shortcut to something that we can release that was sort of the discussion we were having what what do we do to shortcut and you know um it was good though you know because i was i was kind of coming with more severe almost pivots and and guy was like no no let's just get this thing you know something released so it was good i was you know i wasn't like bailing but i was trying to think like how the hell can we like you know, shortcut this thing for like three weeks from now or two weeks from now. I don't think we'd cut it that quick, but I think maybe, you know, but I don't want to be working on this thing for three or four more months before we release something. It's just getting too long. But, um, yeah. So, Hey, I have, uh, an up, a cause update. Oh, go on then. Cause. So, so we talked about cause as a buddy of mine. I, I, I ghost wrote this post for him called, um, at, you know, it's called help a hacker out and hit, I think number three on Hacker News about a week, two weeks ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so he's now in San Francisco and he's had, uh, I guess, interviews with about eight different companies. Right. Or something like that. You know, some big ones. I don't know. I probably shouldn't say who, should I? No, I probably wouldn't. Not. So he's had a view, but although he's talked to, there was, it was one person we actually, uh, uh, I'll say this one, he actually uh, interviewed with Ilya Lichtenstein. Remember him? Oh, yeah. I think a mixed rank or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Ilya, he's the um, affiliate expert. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, so that was one of the places he interviewed. I thought that was hilarious. He's like, yeah, I talked to someone named Ilya. I'm like, Lichtenstein? <laughs> <laughs> As it turns out, like, I knew the companies really well. Though a lot of the companies that he was interviewing with, it was really in a small world. So awesome. that's been really funny. Um, but yeah, it's the, the whole, you know, kind of like surface area thing has kind of worked out for him in that the post brought you know, a lot of attention to him, you know, what his, what he's trying to do and his skills. So he's, he's getting a fair shot. You know, it's like, I, we were talking on the phone about it yesterday and I said, well, at least I said, at least you're in the ballpark now. Right. He's like, yeah, I'm on first base. I'm not on third, but at least I'm on first. Right. He's interviewing with these companies. You know, some interviews didn't go well. Some went pretty well. Okay. And others went well. So I wonder if that's an expertise that you could hire yourself out for on any food, basically ghostwriting (laughs) hacker news posts. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've definitely helped a lot of people who've called me up and or emailed me and say, "Hey, what do you think of this post? Read this title." You know, and uh, no, this is. Hey, how are you finding Google Plus? I haven't been using it as much the last month or two, but uh, I need to get back on it. Do you it's think like it's dying? Do you, you think, think it's going to die? I th- yeah, I mean, I think it's like you've never used it, so what do you care? Well, I've, I've, I've certainly read a few articles talking so about you've read articles how, about it not that you're experiencing it you're just 
No, no, no. What, well, you, you haven't heard me out about what I'm about to say about it, which is that I don't think that it's growing at the explosive rate that they, they really want it to. It seems to be kind of hovering at that kind of initial usage and it's not kind of really blossoming the way that a social network should. That's the impression I'm getting from the articles I'm reading. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, at the, right now, I think it's just hard to compete with um, you, you have Twitter and Facebook have kind of sort of cornered two different parts, two different types of, of social networking. I mean, Facebook is really like the friends and family kind of stuff. They, yeah. Here's our vacation. Here's a picture of the kids. Here's, you know, whatever, Christmas photos, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff you talk about, the kind of stuff that people you, 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 you're close to personally want to, want to read about. You may not, they, 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 they be friends of yours, but they may not have money, common interests, but they want to know what you're doing. And then, then Twitter is like, these aren't personal. Usually these aren't personal. These aren't friends and family. These aren't people who know you personally or care about, you know, your vacation, but these are people who have sort of a con or is, is interest based. You know, they're, they're, they're following you because they're interested in something you're interested in or that you talk about or you know about. And I think Google plus is trying to be like Twitter in the sense that it's, you know, I mean, they're trying to, but this is what it's turning out to be. It's kind of like, like Twitter in the sense that it's sort of interest-based, but it's longer form like Facebook. It reminds me of Bing trying to usurp or get some market share against Google. It's like people are just really, really used to Google and that's the way that they do things. And they still have a, like 70% market share or something like that. And um, Google are basically trying to do the same thing with Facebook, but in reverse, right? So Facebook has 800 million people who already use it. Like, how are Google going to get into that market? It just yeah. See, I don't people, think they're really stealing people from Facebook. I think it's more stealing people from trying to get people to move from Twitter. Oh, you th- but Twitter doesn't have anywhere near as many people as uh, Facebook. I, I, I think they're, they're really trying to go pitch against Facebook. That's my, my thought on that. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, is that, you know, they may want to, but see, the people on, on yeah, sure, they love Facebook, you know, kind of usage in Facebook. But I think getting all of these you know, normal, non-technical people to move over. It's just going to be really hard. People have their, they have all of their photos and all of their friends. They're not going to recreate that on some other network. I mean, why, why would they? You well, know, that's what Google, I mean, I think that's the Google Plus play. I mean, the, the Google are not afraid of Twitter. They're afraid of Facebook. They might be, but I don't think they have, I don't think they're going to, I agree that I don't think they're going to, any, any kind of near term. I mean, the world, the world has structural changes at some point. Like, you know, things can be fundamentally different from now and like eight or 10 years from now. But within the next two or three years, I don't see that happening at all. They're not going to take much uh, or any of Facebook's juice. But I think if, if they have any success, if, if, if it's possible, it would be moving some people over from Twitter. People who, who are, it's all interest based because it's starting out, it's mainly, you know, geekery kind of stuff or things that are closely related to uh, technology. But it's people who find that having being able to write slightly longer posts and have photos and stuff to be a little better user experience than, than well, the 140 character thing. If that if that's who they get, then I predict Google Plus will be closed in a couple of years because the the, the numbers on Twitter are, are not worth Google's while. Like they they they're after the Facebook numbers definitely. Uh, how, how how what are the numbers on Twitter? You know, it's like, it's, it's. I mean, Twitter is. I think. It was like a couple of hundred million or something. I don't think it's like eight hundred million. Like eight hundred. But 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 of, of active users, I mean, I obviously I don't know the exact thing. This is where it's small fraction of that. Yeah, it's like fifty million or something. You know, 
Whereas face, Facebook is 800 million active users. See, well, I don't think, I don't think the Twitter active user base, like for instance, I have a Twitter account and yeah. I almost never go in there. So you could call me an active user. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think a lot of people like me have an account. I haven't yeah. posted since like September of last year or something yeah. of 2010, not even 2011. So I don't know. I think I think the number of really active Twitter users is probably in the single digit millions, maybe. All right. Maybe. Yeah. And uh Facebook I think it's higher than that because you have so much of a sort of social glue. People want to keep up with their friends and family. But you know, hey, I don't I'm not an expert in either of those. But you're right, you may be right. I mean Google Plus may not make it. May not make it. I don't know. I, I have a hard time keeping up with stuff. I, I think I think that one of the problems is, is like always trying to come up with stuff to post. Yeah, and the other thing is Google Plus are not opening up their API for, for full read write. So they're they're kind of taking the opinion, right, we, we want to keep it closed and we want to kind of cut, uh, nurture it internally before we let people write apps to to fully exploit it in any way. Yeah. Yeah. That may you know, that hurt them. I may hurt them. Huh. Anyway, you got any? Okay, go on. We, I think that's we, it. I think that's a show. That you think that's a show? Yeah, so we're we're getting over two up to two hours, aren't we? Getting close. So yeah. Well, it'll be once it's, it'll be edited down to like one forty, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah? I think that's I think that's enough. I think that's good. You don't have a, like a happy little note to go out on. Happy, happy little, little note. Like happy oh, little topic. What's wrong with Goldman Sachs? No, that's not too happy. Oh, the man <laughs> who broke Atlantic City. Like that the man one. who what? The man who broke, you know, I got one, the man who broke Atlantic City. You know, Go that's on. interesting. I got one. It, I was talking about, I was reading about the 40 hour work week. This is a good one. Oh, yeah. How about, like, how the, the 40 the hour, four hour work week? The 40 hour work week. No, not Tim Ferriss's four hour okay. work week. 40 hour work so week. Just, so, just basically the, uh, the average work week. Yeah. So, okay. essentially, um, you know, I guess, I guess the, the reality is that, you know, mo, you know, it's just study after study confirms that people, most people can't work more than eight hour day and be efficient yeah. for any length of time that you can crunch for a couple of weeks, but after that, you're going to have to take a vacation. You're going to have to take a long break. You're going to have to take a significant break. And not only is eight hours sort of limit, it, it turns out that six hours is sort of the limit for what they call knowledge workers. Oh, so, really? Programmers and designers and writers and you know whatever um, analysts and things. I mean, it's just that you you just you only have so many hours of that that your brain can you know can take before it just is just you're just sitting there just wasting time yeah. not getting things done. Which is something that I've discovered. I, I you know I work, I tend to work from about nine in the morning to about five thirty. Yeah, what I do. But then I also tend to work on the weekends. A couple hours here and a couple hours there, but it's sort of soft work, you know. It's kind of stuff that, like, doing the podcast. It's like, you know, you know, working on side projects like Anyfoo or App Ignite a little bit, and you know, just stuff that I'm a, I'm a little more just excited about. And yeah, there's something much harder about working on paid work because <laughs> well, because you 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 you're sort of you've got to have the level of expertise that's expected from you, but you've also got to work on something that you're not quite as passionate about as your own side projects. Yeah, yeah. You know, and of course, anything you've been working on for, for well, anyway, the, 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 I, I, I've discovered that, I, I found that to be true for myself. And so people, when they talk about work 12-hour days, I just call bullshit on that. Like, you know, for any length of time, I mean, like, how many hours are you really working? You know, you'd like 
companies people get in late and they take long lunches or they they go to the gym in the middle of the day. They work out, and it's like you may work late, but you get in late, but you take lots of breaks. You know, it's like if you actually sit down and crank, I don't think week in and week out you can get much more than, you know, eight hours of solid work in. And even for me, it's like, you know, I, I know I take over. For lunch, you know, I, I got to take you. Most days I leave, I leave and go out to lunch. I can't just sit at my desk and eat. You know, there's plenty of you know, I mean, 20 like, year olds I, who do it, but, uh, and at startups, but no, they, the thing is they they're don't, hurting themselves. But they don't, but they don't do it. No, but they don't do it. And is that basically okay. what science is saying is that they don't do it or they don't officially, they may do it, but they're, they're hor- But what's happening is after a certain number of hours, you, you can do it for a couple weeks straight, right? You can do your 12 hours. And I've done that in the past where, you know, my first company, we would, we would crunch for two or three weeks, like 12 hours a day. But after that, you were just blown up. But the problem is, is that when you average out over three months, you probably got no more work done because you were just yeah. like marginally productive, if productive at all for the following weeks. You were just kind of oh, half I believe productive. It. Yeah. Oh, I believe it. So that and, is and a that's happy what they discovered, to... like. <laughs> go on, you say, you say. We you up to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess that's a wrap. We're out.